Welcome to Pablo Held Investigates, where I talk to my musical heroes and peers about their creative process and their music. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting me at patreon.com slash pabloheld. And to keep informed about the interviews, my music and everything else that I'm up to, subscribe to my newsletter at pabloheld.com. Okay, let's start investigating. question man I don't know I think that um I have no idea it's like uh that I think the very first thing that came into my mind when you said that I'm just a little bit guessing or free associating is um the world of um, the traditional Irish music sessions which was really because as a teenager and my whole world was fiddled that was my almost mm. almost entire I did sing in choirs and stuff like folky choir type things and with my family But my own passionate thing was traditional Irish style fiddle. And guitar and banjo came later. Mm. And <clears throat> in that genre, you know, it's this, uh, it's the great thing of like the pub session where the pub is paid for three musicians and that one person runs, owns, sort of runs it. And then that person hires two others, but then whoever's around in town will come, mm. you know, and join in. And you can either be, it's a fellow like sometimes it's a professional musician who comes who's in tour, on tour who comes to play but it could also just be somebody who's fairly new to the music that's like the vibe but it has all these subtle there's very subtle social rules around it and it's you know in terms of you don't just come in and start playing you kind of sit and you sit with your instrument and you know you join in a little bit but you wouldn't like then start start a tune until the person invites you to and right. there's kind of repertoire that circulates around a certain session and there's there's like a tempo and the, the amount of time people play through and you, you you know you sort of just follow the vibe but there's something about that world that when you said that where it's like like part of it well that sounds like the opposite in a way of what you just said to me mm. but but there is a thing where like you just when it's time you're trying to play you just play you know mm. and it's not about creativity's quote unquote or mm. it's just like what you got there kid you know and yeah. then you, you, you got blast into your tunes you know yeah when 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 it's when you're there to do it mm -hmm. don't know that's what that's what i thought of when you said yeah when you asked. <laughs> that's cool because i mean 
a very specific moment for me was, and I don't know if you remember this, but you, you were doing one of your Instagram live things and I joined and you were playing something different and then you said, this is for you, Pablo, and then you played Miles mode, out of the blue. And this was one big lesson for me in terms of also how to approach a, a live stream thing, yes. because that's the big advantage of, of that medium. Yes. That you see somebody coming in, you can, uh, you can uh, address them, play something for them, yeah. and react to whatever they are saying or writing. And the thing is, for me, I felt like, I felt like, whoa, what's happening? <laughs> and at, at that moment, we didn't really, I think, a, a couple of texts we sent. Basically, they yeah, not communicated. Yeah. yeah. Except for liking each other's things. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that was a big moment for me because yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, he's, he's addressing <laughs> me. Why? And how, how come out of the, I think you were playing some kind of uh, more traditional yeah, fiddle yeah. stuff yeah. at that moment. And then you jump into that moment. So that's amazing. Yeah, the, that that Instagram thing has been so great. I have you can't do. I have. I found that I couldn't do too many because there's no. There's not that much variation. Like it's still just you right. in your room. But I know the whole specificity of people's connection through the comments. I wasn't gonna when the when the lockdown first started and everything last year. I was not really gonna do a live stream, and. Um, I would try and support people's, you know, buy tickets or send a tip or whatever, but I yeah. wasn't watching that many of them. And then in, I live in England and it was, must've been in the morning and I, I saw somebody, one of the things on live and it was, um, Pedro Martins, mm -hmm. the, the guitarist, yes. the Brazilian guitarist. And it was just like clearly two in the morning in Brazil, yeah. you know, and he was just like chilling and the phone was like sideways, yeah. like right up against his, like, there was no, you know, thoughts. It was to totally, yeah. and, and he wasn't playing any of his, like, it wasn't a gig. He was just, like, playing, practicing or playing repertoire that he knows. And he was just blazing, because he's, yeah. obviously, he's blazing. And, like, that just turned on a light bulb in my head, because I was like, oh, it doesn't have to be, like, we're all here 10 yeah. feet away, and we're trying to do something that's, we're sad, because we can't do it for real. Or, yeah. Like, it can just be this other thing. Can be casual. Yeah, and, and then I found that if I just got right really close, because also I don't, I'm not very good with tech, and so the iPhone within the two feet sounds great. Mm -hmm. And for then farther away, it's bad. So really close, then it felt like, and, and then the comment thing just became this complete improvisation, because people, yeah. yeah, like whatever people said, and then you had to learn to not look while you're playing, you know, like a song, while you're singing. You can yeah. look while you're fiddling, but not while you're singing. Yeah. And, and then it just was like, wow. And it's like, and then it's like, okay, this is a different form. It's not a concert. This is an Instagram show. It's its own thing. Yeah. And those comments I was so thankful for because on the one hand, I think people sometimes felt like they were distracting. But for me, you know, that's my only sense of the outside world yeah. while you're playing. I yes. mean, if nobody, if it goes quiet, it's like, it's like the ether. And of course, you have to also learn that. Yeah. trust and play through that mm. but um yeah improvisation I would, you know. and i thank god i had that ready for you i'd probably learned it like two weeks earlier <laughs> oh yeah yeah i, <laughs> I got a blast in Pablo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what i wanted to ask you actually because you seem so interested in such a vast um um what do you say i mean so so many different styles of music although I think we both don't really think in styles, but I mean, sure. more in, I mean, people, maybe you're interested in so many people and, and um, what they bring to the table. And uh, I'm wondering, I'm always curious because this is something that's hard to describe for me, but I'm playing mostly jazz and improvised music, but I listen to 
classical music and and um, and whatever Sam Emerton, yeah. you know. Um, and for me, that's natural that I listen to that stuff and learn stuff that I put into my music. And some of that is um, maybe only recognizable for me, the influence. But when I, whenever I think about somebody else, that's a mysterium again for, uh, for me. Because I see you listening to uh, John Cherry and then I listen to Groundhog and I, I figure, where is it? I mean, or how does it influence you? Yeah. Um, when I think about me, it makes sense to me because that's you my know. personal yeah. thing. I can, I can connect where, where the dots, you know. And also, I love the Beatles and my music doesn't sound like the Beatles. Right. You know, yes. but um, so there's also a, um, a subconscious thing yes. of influence, obviously. But I'm wondering what your take on it is and what you, because you're drawn to certain kind of people and very, very uh, intensely, I, I feel. Yes. Uh, the way I see you talk about them or, or write about them. So I wonder, um, what are you looking for in those influences and those people yeah. in terms of what you then introduce in your music? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. There's like two, three things in like three different directions one could go from what you just said. And one thing that I just thought of is like, there is a funny thing with influence versus like listening or inspiration where, the, you know, I, you're absolutely right. Like, like there's things that I heard that I didn't even necessarily even, that I only heard, I didn't even listen to more than once. I just heard like two tracks and yet it just, it made something wake up in my brain and you could completely hear the influence for the rest of my music in this thing that like I, there was a, a the, the musician Devendra Banhart, he made this album, I think it's called Rejoicing in the Hands. I think that's the one, it's quite solo and it's just nylon string guitar. And when that came out, it was like, I just heard like three songs of it. And it was like, whoa, you could do that. You could just make something that quiet and intimate and it could still be, I don't know, like it just, and I, I didn't really, I, I think he's a great musician, but he didn't end up being somebody that I pursued that. It's not like, like I probably have listened for 10 minutes to that right. record in my whole life. Yeah. And yet like it, you know, completely just shifted something when I heard it. Whereas like Miles Davis, I've listened to like almost every day mm. of my life since I was 16, yeah. literally almost every day, yeah. hours. And yet, and of course, as you say, of course the influence is going to be there one way or another, but it's not like it's going to necessarily like be present in, yeah. like, like in the, in terms of how an external person would hear the music like that might not, you know, may not be apparent at all. So I don't know what's, it's very, it's funny that whole yeah, difference, like it, it must be somewhere. Cause it's clear, like that's like the most powerful, meaningful things on so many levels. And so I know it's a mystery, mystery where things come in and it's, and yeah, it's funny. I think that people can influence just like, I like for miles, it's probably more like how he, sustained creativity over the lifetime maybe i don't know mm -hmm. or but on a minute level in each moment it's different mm -hmm. but somebody like don cherry was definitely a d direct influence i think because of his the way that he um saw culture and music and and the way that like um there's this album called blue lake which this quality was probably present on more of his records but this is the one where i really heard it where you know in the middle of the show, he just talks about Abdullah Ibrahim mm. and he plays like three of his tunes on piano. And it's like such a beautiful thing that he would just trust that that would be 
that that would be, you know, it's it's not his tune. It's not, mm. you know, he's not a piano player primarily. And yet he's just like, this is my friend. I love this guy's music is so great. I'm going to play some of his tunes now. Mm. And just like that he would trust that him as a person, all this stuff coming through him would come out like as part of his expression. Right. As you know what I mean? Instead mm-hmm. of obsessing over what's his music and what's not his music or. Yeah. And like just that moment of him doing that. And then like all of a sudden straight going into this trump tr- and then playing like a Balkan folk tune on his trumpet, you know, and like, and then he- heading that into improv space. Like, so that's a place where, you know, you could definitely look at many places where that would have turned up in my music, like seeing and, th- and just something about the humility of that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's so him. Mm. It's every, every moment. It's still his personality. You'd never confuse his Abdullah from, Abdullah, you know, it right. still sounds like Don Cherry. It's just like him. So that, you know, there's many zones. I was just struck by that, um, by that description of his music. And I wonder if I ever thought about it, like, is it really, is music really belonging to somebody? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. I mean, because I, when I think of Coltrane or, you know, it's definitely his music, but then also... Maybe it doesn't belong to him. Maybe no, it's just totally. his, his offering to the music. Yeah. Know? Well, it's one of the lucky, one of the, you know, beautiful things of coming from a traditional music background is you worry a lot less. Or, or the idea of like original music is much more, is not really a thing. And, mm. and, and so, um, you know, it's much more, And it's not even interpretation, it's just like tapping into the vibe and trying to, you know, and so all of my heroes before, you know, of traditional music were all fiddle players and they weren't, some of them did write great tunes, but that the main thing was more just their, you know, their playing and, and their feel. And they were, they're just playing the melody over and over again. They're not even, you know, and yet it's so still it's so expressive to each person. And, um, And I think when I first started listening to jazz, it was really like, just like the ride cymbal that was compelling to me. because that was where it was the same thing. It was like, because harmonic chord changes, I couldn't really hear yet. Mm. And it was just like the ride cymbal was where I heard just like that person's feel mm. being transmitted into the world through that thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what the Irish fiddle playing is really like. Mm. And so, yeah, like, Yeah, so that whole, the, uh, the, when I entered into the world and there's all these ideas of what original, what's a composition, like it also seems so arbitrary what was yeah. considered, you know, original versus, I don't know, non-original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you tell me more about the, the, um, that tradition and how it gets transported uh, or, or taught over generations? Because a lot of the songs you play, um, I don't really know much about them or anything at all, really, but they seem very old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in a, in a, in the best way possible, yeah. like they seem eternal. Yeah. Uh, or They um, do have that quality, a lot of the traditional songs. Yeah. I mean, it's a real mystery, you know, how they come about in terms of the content. I mean, I think somebody writes something and then they teach it and that person forgets it and changes the second verse and then mm-hmm. it grows. And that's the whole folk process thing. But the, But, I mean, one of the weird things about traditional music is there is this fact about it, which is it's, it sounds so old, you know, and these melodies are old and, and they're strong because they're old. They've been, you know, hammered into mm-hmm. this sh- beautiful shapes and they, 
stories and what people are singing about is so intense and internal and deep and you know again has also been chiseled in this similar kind of way but it's also funny that because in you know our ears culturally what we hear as sort of traditional as is often very arbitrary and is often kind of new like um you know acoustic guitar in in folk music i could be i'm not a historian but <laughs> is my understanding of in america is that it's like kind of pretty much 20th century it really wasn't being used before mm -hmm. like maybe in the late 1800s it started to happen mm -hmm. before it was all banjo mm -hmm. and so our standard idea of like somebody strumming a guitar was like because that was when those recordings in the 20s were made mm -hmm. but i think when that was happening that was like some weird new innovative <laughs> yeah. stuff yeah you know and so like oh he's strumming the guitar that sounds mm -hmm. amazing like i was always picking it or whatever mm -hmm. so i don't know i just think are we have these funny um and in irish music it's hilarious because the traditional the what's now like the kind of classic sound of irish music which is like fiddle with guitar often in like an open tuning d-a-d-g-a-d or whatever is like the guitar only entered into irish music in the 60s and it was all these young people who were listening to rolling stones and Joni mitchell right and they're like oh that tuning's cool i could play that behind an irish tune mm -hmm. and it was you know and they were rediscovering irish folk music coming from rock and roll and blues and stuff mm. so like it entered like through like blues and it goes to Ireland and then returns. So, you know, it's like uh, what the actual, what makes it sound old in this style is often very arbitrary and often mm. not that. And I, I had a funny moment where I went to hear, um, cause I live in England in London and Evan Parker plays the vortex like quite regularly. And I realized I hadn't done it. And I'd lived in England for a couple of years and I lived like at that time, a few blocks. So I was like, I gotta go, you know? Mm -hmm. And I went to hear it and it was like so amazing because it was, exactly like going to a pub folk sing or an Irish session. How? It, it's like, this is this style that's now 50 years old, right? Like European free improvisation. They were playing, it was like going to a session. There were clearly set stuff around what was going to happen musically. Mm -hmm. They're improvising, of course, but it's like really within a style, right? Mm -hmm. They're playing their music. Mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 it's their music. This is the music of the Vortex. This is the traditional right. music of Vortex Jazz right. Bar. And the audience, there was just a certain quality of the vibe, sort of people with their pints and pints, and they come enough that Evan Parker knows a few of them by now. You know, it's just literally like being at the Friday night Irish session on the Lower East Side of New York, where there's mm -hmm. the regulars who are always there, and you're playing your tunes, and you know, and it's like it again. It's a kind of a 50 year old style. I mean, mm -hmm. it would the ver the version of it from the 19th century would be unrecognizable now. So mm -hmm. it's like it was like man, like I met it. This is the same. Like it's, yeah. it's so amazing, and it's and it's like and 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 I guess I mean I don't mean it even just in that point. It's something deeper about the feeling of the way that they played Evan Parker and I forget who the two musicians were. I think it was a bass player and a guitarist. Like something about their interaction was so comfortable, mm -hmm. you know, that was, it was so just like the, the flow of it mm -hmm. had this, it, it wasn't like sort of an improv thing where you're kind of like, oh, what's, you know, it was just comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in the best way, like it was yeah. super deep. And it was like that thing of like three older fiddle guys, you know, three older musicians who'd be in the corner of the pub who've been playing there since the sixties and, they're still playing and you know beautiful it's it was like a very intense because i had i had heard a lot of that kind of music uh in terms of experimental music when i had first come to new york but i, I hadn't really heard it for a while so i was also coming back into it you know with some fresh years i guess mm.
can you explain how you approach some of the those older pieces? Uh, what your take on it is if you, I mean, I guess you've learned it at some point from somebody or from a record and then you, um, yeah, what, what, what is arrangement for you or what is um, reworking? Something? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The, um, it's sort of collage kind of process and often starts with like the folk songs often come a little bit later usually like often I'll just I'm very undisciplined uh, about my creativity and so I just you know have the guitar around and and have a little riff that will come up someday you know and I hopefully grab it with a voice memo mm -hmm. and and then later you know I'll be kind of coming through stuff and it often probably happens if I'm thinking like oh probably should get some music together like we're recording in a few months i think i think a little mm. bit like that and or recording in three days and <laughs> the i'll just sort of comb through the riffs and play them a bit and it's very organic like in terms of songs that might that'll that'll be in my mind for things that i'm listening to or that i checked out a while ago and It shifts over time. I think that when I started, I was more actively, um, you know, checking out a lot of kind of old field recordings made by people like Alan Lomax and musicians like Bessie Jones and Almeida Riddle and Doc Boggs. And um, it shifts because I don't know where it'll go next. I always I always feel like I've run out. <laughs> I always feel like, okay, I'm done doing the folk song. I don't have any more. And then usually it, sometimes it doesn't, but you know, then they kind of tend to come creeping back. Mm -hmm. But, um, so yeah, anyway, the, the, the guitar part will often come first. And then if I, I'll sing a little over the top and then sometimes, and then it's kind of, there's like a range, like some songs I'll only change one. Sometimes it's very, I'm very close to the original version. I'm just changing one and the arrangement is more around what happens with musicians. And then on the flip side, sometimes it's just the words that are left, like uh, Short Life mm -hmm. from Bright Sunny South. That one is just the words. The music is entirely original by that. It was just mm -hmm. like, a, I, like, like the, I think the, the words belong to a song, but the melody just, it like, I just make the words and yeah, mm -hmm. and had like a, had a melodic phrase that worked out for it. So there's kind of a, it's sort of a strictly range. Mm. Do you want to demonstrate on sure, some yeah. of the songs maybe? Sure thing. Yeah. Give me an A there. Anyone in particular to look at how what happened? Well, um, today I, I, I was almost exclusively listening to Groundhog and I'm, I'm not That's sure. That's so cool. Is it yours or is no, it? No, no. And there's, there, did you check out, there's another version of it on yes. Lilio. Do you hear that yes. too? Yes. Oh, That's okay. the one I heard first. Ah, great. So I guess that's the rework, more... Yeah, more rework. Yeah. yeah. And the other yeah. one seems a little bit more centered it, on... on yeah, totally. That's more just like a harmonization. Of the yeah. Quality. So, um, yeah, that's... that. I think I've heard that as a... Yeah, that, like, uh, I just love how perverse and strange those verses are. Mm -hmm. So great. Yeah. And I learned it from Frank Prophet, who was an amazing banjo player and singer, but there's also a Doc Watson version. And um, shoulder from my gun and a whistle from my dog. Shoulder from my gun and a whistle from my dog. Head for the man is about to shoot, Grand Hog, Grand Hog. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it has that little, like, uh, so I've done a version with Bill Frizzell where I'm playing the fiddle and he plays guitar and we, yeah. we, we shred it, um, just the straight melody and then whatever happens. And it has that nice little crooked vibe as well. And, um, I'm just trying to remember. I think you did A major, B major, C major. In terms of what? In terms of, oh, sorry. In terms of the harmony, like, uh... Yeah. On the on the yeah. that version, yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know. So I, like... Dad is a huge Bartok fan, huh. and um, have you, and um, have you heard like the Bartok some of the field recordings that he got some of his folk tunes from? Um, well, I haven't heard the field recordings, but you know the pieces, mm -hmm. the violin duos, and all mm -hmm. the various folk dances and everything. So um, there's a cool album by Muzikash, the Hungarian folk band, where they play like they have some of the field recordings Bartok made and they play some of the traditional and she's singing the original uh, song and then they go into the duet and it's a classical violinist and a folk fiddler playing oh, it nice. it's a cool record and um and my dad loves Bartok and he loves that sound the, the where and, and the, the way that Bartok um you know used these beautiful simple melodies but 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 folded them into completely like the most advanced version of his harmonic language, mm -hmm. which obviously I don't have, so this is just like my dumb, like by ear, like whatever. <laughs> and um, so I think I had, again, I think I had this first, which alone is not very weird. It's just like a little finger picky. I just, yeah, just tried to find different places to sing it from, see what happened. Mm -hmm. Shoulder from my gun and a whistle from my dog. Shoulder from my gun and a whistle from my dog. Head before the land is about to shoot groundhog, groundhog. And I wasn't even sure if I would do it. I was like, is this too much of it? I mean, it's nice to, th I think humor is a place you start from. Like, a, mm -hmm. like sometimes you do things as a joke, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. and I was like, screw it. I'll just bring this to Bill and see if we, you know, and of course he's always up for stuff. Yeah. And, um, but I just like that. And it, it, again, like a lot, well, one thing, I'll, one thing is um, that's been a little bit of a theme through some of these different records of making these weirder versions or whatever, my, you know, versions of the folk songs is like, there's the original, one of the great things about folk music that's hilarious, but that I've sort of changed is like this quality of the melody doesn't always match the words, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a wonderful aspect of the folk songs, which is like the, you know, the music you're listening and it's just this beautiful, happy song. Yeah. And then you tune into the words and it's like the most depressing what's thing one, ever. What's the one where the guy gets hanged? On my records? Yes. Uh, I listened to it yesterday or the day before. Oh, the Leo? Could be the Leo. long ballad? The long, yeah. I think it's the long ballad where, where somebody is about to hang on the... Yeah. Um, gallows. Gallows, yeah. And gallows is also in the lyrics. Um, 
I'm blanking out on the. We'll on figure the it out. Yeah. It'll come to me if you. If, but yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's that's one example of that where it felt like, wow, this music is so beautiful. But yeah, it's, it's uh, the music is about the guy who's being. Yeah. You know, oh, completely. Uh, and so, so something that I have sometimes tried to do on the records is like, sometimes I go along with that that whole thing, like it's still very sweet, as you just mm -hmm. said. And then, but sometimes I've tried to create a musical atmosphere that to me like matches a little more mm. the the world of the lyrics mm -hmm. so for example this song is so sort of perverse like uh, mm -hmm. along came granny a walking on a cane along came granny a walking on a cane i swear she'd eat them groundhog brains groundhog you know it's just so weird and great <laughs> yeah. and so again like putting it into that like a little bit off mm -hmm. space like along yeah. came granny a walking on a cane i swear she'd eat them groundhog brains Ground you know it just like it just gives it that silly where it's like this sweet tune but it's like some yes. eerie weird yes. vibe and um, you could see a kid singing along and without realizing yeah. <laughs> what, what he or she That's is. That's the classic like, thing, yeah, yeah, totally. And a lot of those children's singing games are the same. They're mm -hmm. like weird references to plague and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, that would be, you know, just like it just came in kind of intuitively, but I think that is part of the vibe. It's like, oh, like how could we bring out some of that strangeness, mm -hmm. in, you know, in, it's, it's there. It's there mm -hmm. in the song, you know. It's funny that you said um, some of the things start with uh, making a joke. Yes. And then they turn into something. Because when I think of jokes or, or humor in general, the most funny stuff, may it be absurd or whatever, it usually is, is funny because it has some sort of truth in it. Yes. Right? I mean, Good point. Because yes. that's what we relate to and that's why we find things... Yeah, jarring, jarring truth. Yes. Yeah. So I guess that's... The thing that maybe then yeah. keeps you on creating. No, I was thinking about this a couple of days ago. I, I wonder what, I'll have to think about why this popped back into my head. Because I used to think about it where so many things that have become deep things that I just love or things that I do kind of started as things I found funny. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, like, I was like, that's ridiculous. Like, like, like even old time music, because from the perspective of, you know, from outside folk music, this is what I'm thinking. So like, you know, On the one hand, genre is a kind of stupid thing, and when it's used to separate things in the CD store, it's terrible. But obviously, musical languages are very real, right? right. And like, you know, if you somebody walks into an Irish session, for example, you know, they might enjoy it, but it'll probably sound pretty much all the same to them. It's like all in D major at the same tempo, and, you know. <laughs> and yet, to somebody whose like life is old, uh, is traditional Irish music, you know, they'll be hearing like references to a fiddle style of a certain region, and you know, each. They'll have super strong opinions on the interpretation right. that somebody walking into the room, you know, it's for me when I listen to classical music, which I love and I've encountered in different ways, but like, I wouldn't have a strong response really to, you know, the way it was played compared to, you know, to you or somebody who's dealt with mm -hmm. that music in a really intricate level. So the, the, from the, so from, you know, these fiddle styles are so different from each other, right? From when you're within the universe. Right. Like when I was a teenager, I would never have dreamed that I would play old time music because it was like. I'm, I play Irish music. You can't play both. Mm -hmm. like, you can't do both. You can't yeah. do that. Yeah, it's impossible. Like yeah. nobody's ever done that. Like you know, you can. And, and now, of course, many people do it because it was just that nobody had really spent the time, had not worried about it, and just mm -hmm. taken the time to learn each style as two distinct things. Mm -hmm. But when I was a teenager, it was like super rare to hear a fiddler that could play truly, you know, with integrity. And and I still, in my heart of hearts, do not consider myself an old time fiddle player. I would mm -hmm. consider myself 
an Irish fiddler, which now might be a distinction that from the outside seems absurd. I don't know, mm. like like Joni Mitchell saying, oh, I'm just a painter, you know? It's like, right. it's like for her, she is. That's probably a real feeling for her, right. you know? Like, because that's what her thing was. As a child, that's what her identity was. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, but with... So for me as a teenager, the Irish style is very, um, you know, ornate and delicate, and it's really rhythmic, but it's very ornate, and mm. it's and the harmonies are very modal and ambiguous. Mm. Like the the backing style is often in open tuning, and it's really open. And old time music is like comparatively from these from my ears, which were these sort of traditional Irish ears, mm. it was like really scratchy, and I just kind of found it funny. Like I just thought it was like kind of funny. It was just like scratchy and weird and mm. out of tune, and and like meanwhile the guitar player is not even paying attention to the chords of the tune. They're just right. playing one four five no matter what. Like this is ridiculous, <laughs> you know. And it's sort of condescending opinion, right? Mm. I, but 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 again, but what you just said, the the fact that I found it funny was like because. I think that's the part of me that was like uncomfortable with, like, what's this presenting to me? Yeah. And it was the same when I first heard free jazz. Like, that's ridiculous. People just playing noises. That's the right. most silliest thing I ever heard. Yeah. Like, I have literally found it hilarious. Yeah. I, I, and yet, again, like, what you're saying is true. You know, and again, like, yeah, it's like so many things are prints. You know, I just thought, oh, that's cheesy. That's it's silly. I thought it was mm -hmm. a bit sort of humorous. You know, and then of course, like, you realize it's like the deepest music of all time. And yeah. on the one hand, you could chastise somebody for finding things being because it's arguably derisive right like mm. i was sort of making fun of it when i first heard it and yet again like it's because some of it got under my skin mm -hmm. i was like what is that what's that feeling it's a yeah. strange feeling and it's like a defense you you know you, re you respond by laughing absolutely yeah, yeah. but also, it's not a bad thing it's kind of a beautiful moment you're because yeah. it's like you're you're you know it's it's one way of dealing with insecurity or something new yes I think we also do that in horror movies. Like, totally. Where like in the slasher moments, totally. One response is like, ah, yeah. Yeah. what? Yeah, because you otherwise know? you'd run out screaming. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so laughter is a is a deep thing yeah. <laughs> that totally. we have to, I guess, follow when it happens. Yeah. Right. And see what it what it stands for. Yeah. Definitely. And it's important in music. Like there has to be that humorous element and it's it's hard when it's not it it, it sort of stays there somehow mm. and but was it something that you had to allow yourself to, to what to have a humorous element in your music i don't know i think it came out pretty accidentally but i don't know i think it was just i think it was um that in terms of for me and my own thing like that i think part of that was i performed from a fairly young age and uh didn't really, like, from, like, age seven, would perform my family, or, you know, then when I was playing fiddle, I had a band in high school playing folk music, and we played gigs and stuff, and so I think when I was in my early 20s, which is around when I started doing the folk songs stuff, like, it was sort of like, oh my god, you're on stage in front of people, this is so weird, and I had done it since such a young age and never questioned it, right. and it just seemed so such it just suddenly seemed like such an, a weird ritual to be standing there and all these people are looking at you it's kind of like kind of terrifying and weird for, at that time all of a sudden but it also one response to it was to kind of just, just poke at the corners of it mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah did you ever address it in front of an audience like isn't this weird what we're yeah. doing i never this, said it but i think some thing. of my behavior <laughs> at concerts was reflective of Mm. you know trying to just kind of yeah be in that like 
just sort of figure out what was going on in that mm -hmm. zone. I found your uh, announcements um, uh, hilarious <laughs> on the tiny desk thing. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> where you tell the story about... The uh, fuzzy donkey. Yes. That was a true dream. Was it really? Yeah, it's it, 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 because it Because it felt like, in that moment to me, it felt like you were making it up on the spot. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's what it's supposed to feel like. Yeah, but also you introduced a vibe, uh, which then I felt like the the musicians you played with, yes. uh, incredible musicians, they were inspired by that. Yeah. And it's so much more than just I was, saying, well, especially the next from, song is called blah, blah, blah. Well, that's also because I, I came again also from the sort of folk festival mode of, you know, you sort of, it's almost like a more, you know, you, you rigorously announce in advance, this is, I learned this next song is from this, and this is what it's, might maybe where it's from, or yeah. how I had the idea, and it just, you just repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly hearing that, and so I just got tired of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, my favorite thing, of, my proudest moment was that I got, I really surprised Bill, he kind yes. of jumps. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> Can you describe your uh, relationship to him? Um, yeah, it's like, well, I, yeah, and I'm so thankful because I mean, the first place I heard you was your uh, podcast interview mm -hmm. with him. That's how I found your, your podcast. Oh, yeah, cool. And I loved your interview with him, and, and I learned new things in it that I, you know, hadn't known. And I'm a total, total Bill nerd to the extreme mm -hmm. degree. So that's saying something. You oh, know, cool. I've read all the interviews, you know, I check them all out. And so, yeah, I think. Um, We have to get into your nerdism about it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So. Um, when I was, so I have a best friend named Thomas Bartlett, who's a piano player, and we grew up together, and we really, our love, our um, teenage years were really musical discovery together, and that, and we had very, and you can sympathize with this, I think, in terms of that, you know, the era of listening to music when it wasn't all available, right? It was yes. still limited to what you could afford to buy and yes. what you had in your house. And then even there wasn't really all music or .com or anything yet, so you couldn't really, or Wikipedia or whatever, so... It was sort of music was kind of an imagination then. You know, you kind of had to make up what the connections were. You didn't know what they were, yeah. and you didn't know. And also, I think a lot of that thing we were saying about humor was related to closed-mindedness, which was almost out of necessity because people now it's easy to be open-minded, right? You can just hear everything mm -hmm. and you can realize that it's all valid. It's all valid, right? Mm -hmm. But then it was kind of weirder, like because you, you had to make these very selective. Yeah, only what you have is your reality. Totally, totally, and and. Um, so I remember Thomas and I had these kind of rules that were like about what was like jazz guitar was bad. Key electric <laughs> keyboards were bad. Like these are just these weird. And, and it was not just like some arbitrary thing we made up. Like it just it was with our ears. Like we were so in this one thing, like any keyboards just sounded so cheesy to us. Yeah. And any like jazz guitar just sounded so cheesy. And so I, I was really into comics, uh, like underground comics. And I remember seeing repeatedly, I would see on the CD store on the wall, the Gone Just Like a Train mm. a cover, which is Jim Woodring and Frank, which was one of my favorite comics. Like, I should buy that. I was like, oh, no, but it's jazz. I was like, who is this guy? Like, He's a jazz guitarist. Oh, I can't do that. Yeah. That's off limits. Yeah. We, we, the jazz guitarist is evil. It's in, it's in that category. And, um, and so um, Thomas went to London for a year. And he went uh, to study piano, and he went to tons of concerts. Classical piano? Yeah. Uh -huh. And he studied... and. Uh, and he went to tons of concerts the whole year. And in Rattleboro, nobody would really come play. So we didn't, it was like even more of a fantasy world because it was just yeah. pictures on CDs. And um, and he, he, I really remember him emailing. He's like, I saw Bill Frizzell. It's incredible. It's safe. Like, it's not jazz. <laughs> it's not jazz guitar. It's not jazz. You can, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. And, and it was because it was gone. It was good dog, happy man. Mm -hmm. And 
He's, I think he sent me a few tracks. We were sending mini discs back and forth mm -hmm. of music we were discovering. Oh, cool. And then end up discussing it over email. And um, he sent me a mini disc with a few tracks, and I must have gone out and bought that CD. And it was just like, it was like hearing the music you'd been imagining in your head for years. Mm -hmm. That, like, and again, and I'm so, again, I'm so thankful that I didn't, couldn't go look everybody up because. These guys just appeared out of, we didn't know who Jim Keltner was, mm. you know, we didn't know who Bill Frizzell, we didn't know who the musicians were. And, and so to us, it was just like magic. It was like, we didn't, it, it, like, the, the, because I guess because they were playing in a way that we could, for with our folk ears, we could connect to. Yes. Yeah. And yet it was beyond, mm. right? It was way beyond and it was improvisation and it was playing and yet it was like, just playing these really simple melodies mm -hmm. and yet it was powerful and deep and cool and like and it was connected to old-time music but it wasn't not in any kind of self-conscious you know they weren't folk tunes they're bills tunes and so that was just absolute life changer um and which year was that probably when it came out in 98 90, mm -hmm. did that album come out in 99 or 898 i'm not sure yeah it was when that was happening and we didn't and again like I would have, now you would have looked up and heard his earlier stuff really quickly. But again, I wasn't going to just buy an $18 on some ECM. You know, it's, yeah. it wasn't for five more years that I heard his earlier stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So again, like he was, that's who he was to us. Mm -hmm. It was just these middle-aged dudes playing major scales with a feel. And it was in a way that kind of connected in an oblique way to, you know, old-time music. Completely mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. And pretty much from that moment, I was just like, oh my God. And then throughout college, I would we would go see him play, and I'd go, you know, every every possible time, and I'd go up awkwardly and give him our folk band CD and sure. get an autograph on, my, yeah. on his CD and and remind try and get him to know who I was. That he I knew that he knew this fiddle player in Seattle, Ruthie Dornfeld, who was I, I knew that he'd gone to her gig. Like the fact that he'd gone to her gig was like, oh my god, yeah. he went to somebody's show. Like yeah. it's that level of yeah, just yeah, yeah. and still completely still is for me. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm still in that level of fan. Um, and those trio shows, which were Kenny Wallace and, and Tony, were just like in the vanguard where that was like the for me that was like my version of like going to see Jimi hendrix at you know right. band of gypsies or something yeah and they were on fire it was amazing mm -hmm. and it was also just that mysterious thing of like watching him and he just looked like he looked like somebody who'd woken up from a, he looked at somebody who's having an the anxiety dream where you like have you're like standing in front of the math class and you have to teach physics and you like don't know physics like he's like wait i'm holding a guitar and i'm on stage <laughs> at the village vanguard jesus i probably should try and play oh, that no okay i'll try that one. Oh, yeah. and then but you close your eyes and you were just like it was like this mm -hmm. like multi-level wash of colors and textures yes. and i had no idea what was going on in the music mm -hmm. i would probably have this much more a teeny bit more now but still not that much When did you try to learn some of his songs? Um, I think I did play a little bit along on violin and stuff because I was, there was a, for me in my life, there was a, so in, in my teenage years, there was a huge demarcation. I thought about this when you were saying something at the very beginning of our conversation, but I forget why now, um, between playing and listening. Oh, when you were talking about influence and which is like, I just, I played Irish tunes and I listened to Jimi Hendrix you know, Yola Tango, Albert Eiler, Mark Rebo, you know, mm. it's like, uh, you know what I mean? It was like Bonnie Raitt, whatever. It was like, so it was like this weird thing where my, 
my listening was like super broad and my playing was incredibly specific. Mm. And I'm kind of thankful for that in a weird way because when you go that deep into a music, as you know, and, it, you know, there is something about really being inside a language where you sort of understand what that means. And part of my life as an adult of being an obsessive jazz listener nerd is that it's like I can, I understand, I know from having the experience of Irish music that it's happening and I'm not really, I'm not inside it, right? I'm mm. on outside listening, watching it. And so it's kind of magical. Mm. So to go back to this, the, what was the question? The, when did, when you learn? Oh yeah. When so in, in college, my main goal was to just like open up, to push myself beyond. And really you forget, you forget when you get older and you get comfortable, <laughs> comfortable playing in different settings, you forget how terrifying it is to step mm. even a little bit out, mm. you know, just playing a melody that I hadn't learned already. You know, and you notice that sometimes with classical musicians, so you bring them in and some, and again, a lot of classical musicians now have spent a lot of time improvising or whatever. But mm -hmm. when I was in, in teenager, you know, you'd sort of buy, you'd be like, oh, this person's going to shred this. And then they'd be actually, you'd just say, just play in G major, just play some, yeah. G, some notes in G. And they would just be like, oh, you know, you yeah. see that kind of, and it's not about their musical ability, mm -hmm. it's just fear. Yeah. And, and so... Um, I was really, I really did push in college to kind of get, and I didn't know where I was pushing towards. I have no idea. So I, I took some violin lessons to get my technique a bit more, you know, versatile beyond just folk. I studied a bit with Mark Feldman on, on oh, great. great and, and Leroy Jenkins. I did mm -hmm. first, I did a year with Leroy around improvisation, mm -hmm. which was really wonderful and amazing. And then I did a year with Mark Feldman for more like, which was jazz, but also he was kind of just a really good classical violin teacher, mm. better than best, the best I ever had. Wow. And kind of kicked my ass in a good way. And it, again, I'm a still a terrible classical musician and I'm still a terrible jazz musician, but it was, <laughs> but it really did push me beyond, you know, it did open me up mm. my playing. And so at that stage, I think I would have like played along a bit with the Bill Records. And, yeah. But I still haven't really learned the, I mean, I've learned one tune on guitar, yeah, and uh, I, saw you I play it on the Instagram. So, yeah. but you know, I just keep on playing. That's okay. beautiful. Song. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, about, that's like the only one, and then I've learned, I, and I and I've gotten played on his music when we played together, you know. Yeah. And, um, but I don't really, I haven't really done that with his music. I haven't done, and I didn't really, I didn't never, I didn't do that back in the day. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really. Do, I mean, I did play along a little bit for fun. I remember that with the CD, like just once. I remember doing that, mm -hmm. and I I would have brought in his tunes to like the on you know ensemble in college and stuff a couple of times, but I def, but it was more just profoundly obsessive uh, mm -hmm. and in general for me that's my thing I, i've not i'm not I, I have tried i do i i love doing it i'll learn guitar stuff i will learn guitar stuff but <laughs> it's a, a more just like getting into the world of the artist mm -hmm. that's the main thing like through listening and reading through, interviews yeah and stuff like that yeah mm -hmm. because i really that's some influence that i can really point out in your music uh bill yeah yes i mean not in a 
any kind of copying way, but I can see the love for him. Yes. That's the beautiful, beautiful part no, of it's a, it's seeing a, somebody's influence and more, not like, uh, okay, I'm going to copy this thing or I'm going to incorporate this. It's more like, I love, I yes. love this music. So yes. it's natural that it's, it's going to be presented in my music yeah. without thinking about it. Completely. And I think that one way that, yeah, and totally. And, and also in terms of how I've, what people I've, tried to play with or how I've tried to the, like the relationship the I guess what I'm trying to say is like the way that Bill can appear in all these contexts and you can still hear that he's fully improvising and you know he's bringing all his beautiful broad musicianship into all these contexts and so I've tried to create song contexts where musicians can be themselves in that same yes. way you know on the record yes. not to sound like him but to sound like you know to do their thing in a way that's mm -hmm. the way he is often invited to do his thing yeah but the surprise for people often with bill is like how prof and it was you know the thing fun thing about getting to know was know him was then to realize how different a musician he is from my me and and how different my sense of his music is even from his sense you know like he's such Can you a elaborate yeah so, so he's such a profoundly structural musician and something that i think people think about bill often because his music has that atmosphere to it you know because of his harmonically and his tone and all this stuff and the ways that he makes the guitar sound open you know like people just think of it as just this musical flow right mm. which he can totally do but he's so structural like most musicians because my music is harmonically very simple and then it has these little hiccups in terms of the shape and this stuff but there's a lot of room to happen and people like Shazada Smiley or Thomas or people you know who I play with like they don't make charts really you know it's just like I'm like it's kind of D tonality and then something happens a lot you know and they just mm -hmm. kind of flow but Bill like rocked up having written having written scores of my guitar parts handwritten yeah. score of what, what my you know like so that he could really understand what i was doing mm -hmm. and then do his thing and whether he really needed to do that or not i don't i mean i've done times where i throw stuff out of him and he sounds just as good so yeah but 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 you know but i did that did kind of wake something up it's like man this is like this insane musician who's such a mm -hmm. hero to people and he's doing the craziest level of detailed homework to play on this music that yes. you know that somebody could totally justifiably just come in and you know blast away on you know mm -hmm. and I, i'm not that's totally you know like i shazad i would never want him to make a chart of my stuff because the whole point of him is different but yeah but it's just interesting with bill like people don't always see that i think and i've mm -hmm. been in situations sometimes where people are like yeah just play here like just do something and, and it's like because they sort of have that thing but it's like no no that happens in a really specific context that mm -hmm. thing where he just unleashes yes. that's very specific and and he'll do it here too but it's like it's not just going to happen you know it's not like oh, do it it's like because he really wants to learn the music he's playing mm. he wants to understand the skeleton of it mm -hmm. and mark rebo is the same way even though they're very, you know really different players but it's the same thing where he really wants to mm. you know and then he'll just blast but it's like he wants to see what the and it's not just a chart it's not just chords that's what's interesting about it mm -hmm. it's like the arc armature of the music mm -hmm. like what is it that's cool. I can relate to that. I, I think I'm... In your listening or for yourself? You, in your listening to Bill or in your in your own music? Both. Yeah. Both. Uh, I could see that in Bill, but also I can I can relate to it myself. I Sometimes if I have... When I feel I have too little information, I, I, I feel like limited a little bit. 
And if I know more, then I have choices of yeah. where to, how to approach it, yeah. and to how to, uh, what to see in it, or I don't know. Sometimes if if I'm handed a piano chart with just chords, yeah. I feel like there, there's a melody and there's a bass part, yeah. and I want to know about this. Of course, I could learn it by ear, right. which I I like and like to do. But if you hand me a chart, just give me all the information, then I can see yeah. what, I, what I would to yeah would like to approach it like you know yeah but how did you then uh, meet him get to meet him so the first time it, i guess it was very it was it was very organic when it happened but it was also just me it's like carrying this person's conception of this person in your heart so long you know and just like any it's like a radar the, the, it was like my bill Fazella radar I, I fully will admit that because it's just you know it's so so again like i you know i'd be that guy i'd go up and say hi after mm. and then um through i just really wanted to connect with people who are doing improvised music when i came to new york and again i didn't know what my role would be in it and so i was playing like fiddle and i played with in people trying to get together, just, you know, offering to get together to improvise with musicians in Brooklyn and stuff and found some wonderful musicians in different zones. I, I played fiddle with this group called Stars Like Fleas that was a really amazing, wonderful kind of experimental indie rock band in the mid-2000s, and I was so lucky and excited to play with them. I mostly just played fiddle, um, but it was like... They, they it was songs but then it would go into improvisation and it was like just my dream of what i would you know and it really influenced my own music later um and their drummer is ryan sawyer who's plays on one of my favorite recent albums which is the matana roberts coin coin chapter four I don't know oh my god it's incredible okay one top like, we really have to write all these things yes totally afterwards. exactly <laughs> and yeah totally And um, it's very deep record dealing with her ancestry and all these different corners of American music and folk music. And it has Ryan playing free jazz drums, but then it has like messed up great old time fiddle and mm. Montana reading from these old diaries. Like it's a, a wow. really profound album. Um, anyway, so I got to, I was playing with Ryan a bit. And then through Thomas, I met Shazad Ismaili and mm. he had come to New York fairly recently. And we struck up a, a friendship i asked i asked him for guitar lessons and he offered to barter for banjo lessons mm -hmm. so we would do 20 minutes of him showing me some chord exercises or something and me giving him a quarter banjo lesson and then we would we started adding 20 minutes of improvisation as a duo at the mm -hmm. end just for fun and he's a really incredible improviser and very inspiring he would give us like very creative stuff that you do i'm sure as well like thinking of little stories to tell and we had to keep the story in our head and play it or whatever, or, or different conceptual ideas. And then we had this game where no matter how much time we had, we would get together to play. So he would have like one, he would finish a sound check and he would have like, he'd like, I only have one minute. And so we would drive to his house. He would double park outside of the street. We'd go into his apartment, play one minute of free improvisation. Then he'd go back to his gig. Great. And so he was very inspiring. And he was playing with Avent Kang, mm -hmm. who was, who was somebody else I loved both through the quartet album with Bill and mm -hmm. also some of the stuff he was doing on his own. He made an album called Live Low to the Earth in the Iron Age, mm -hmm. which is a drone, kind of a drone record and mm -hmm. really beautiful. And I was searching for violin players because, you know, jazz violin was, is not like my favorite sound. So I was searching for players who brought something. Is it off limits? 
<laughs> yeah, but is it still? It's still against the, one of the last things. Yeah. Still, no, I, I'll, no, I love you. sent me the. Yeah. How do you pronounce his name? Spigny of Seifert. Oh my God, that's so good. You got to get me the rest. Yeah, of the, the um, uh, yeah, him. I I remember Mark uh, Feldman telling me about him, and I checked yeah. some stuff out. It definitely would not have been my sound, but I even then would have respected like yeah him. That I mean, that's great. No, everything's nothing's uh, nothing's in the bad basket yet. But if anything comes close, <laughs> it's jazz violin. But but then you know people like Charlie Burnham. There were just a few people that I was able to find that broke past that sound and did something with it. One of them is Charlie Burnham. Mm. and um one of them especially he played um and then yeah one of them is and uh and avon and a couple other people oh don sugarcane harris oh and uh this is much more recently but the is it ray nance ray nance with duke duke yeah oh my god like there's the mm -hmm. duke Ellington jazz violin summit mm -hmm. and ray plays some viola bluesy i mentioned that in the email mm -hmm. too i think incredible so yeah. Again, I, I, I wasn't going to become a jazz violinist, but I still, as a violin, that was my instrument then, so I was yeah. searching for these people. And Avend made a connection with Avend through Shazab, which I, was, which I loved, and he's just a wonderful you know, person as well. And I, I, by then, like the Irish thing, which I deeply love, that's my life, but it didn't really, maybe because I'm, I don't know, well, I shouldn't say it, that it didn't really, it was part, either because I was so deep inside it as a, genre the thing is i was sort of coming to the appalachian stuff a little from the outside right because i'm from vermont mm. i'm not i didn't grow up with i did i did grow up with a lot of those songs through my parents singing them mm. but it wasn't like i'm not but you know again it wasn't my i was a little on the outside of it which made it more playful mm -hmm. i didn't have as much baggage around it and also it, it, it i heard i had that moment where i heard this old time stuff and free jazz stuff and i kind of heard this connection between them mm. and i had gone to learn from a fiddle, fiddle player named Bruce Green, whose his material, his fiddle players he learned from were all in Eastern Kentucky. And he has this very like two steps removed. Like mm -hmm. he found them all almost at first by accident in his twenties in the early seventies. Mm -hmm. And they were all 80 and they'd all learned mm -hmm. when they were kids from people who had been born in the 19th century. Wow. And they all died within a very short time of his visit, almost to kind of an eerie place of like, their, you know, their music had been transmitted a lot or whatever. Mm. And Bruce has this beautiful, it's like, you know, and the Kentucky music has weird intonation. It's like a little bit raised forth. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's connected to blues, very connected, because fiddle music in, is black music, you know. And um, that, that sort of then mixed around, you know, went back and forth a lot. And um, so... It's connected to blues, but it's a bit of a different sonority, and it has this real. So, I played that some that stuff I had really learned from Bruce, and I played some of that for Avond, and he really mm. responded to that. And I had this idea in my head; I just didn't know how it was going to come out, but I really had this idea of like the Kentucky stuff versus some improvisation energy. I just didn't know how it would come out. Mm -hmm. I totally didn't expect it to be through songs and guitar, but you know, at the time it was more fiddle and it was more experimental at first, mm. weirder, like weird stories and. I had this idea of self-inflicted field recordings where I would sort of record myself as if I was like a crazy person in the woods that somebody was going to record. And mm. so it was all these ideas kicking around. And I, and I made it, actually, my first album is that. It's called Home Alone Inside My Head. And I mm. made it on a Moran's tape recorder. And it's just like me, like, scratching a banjo against the tape recorder and, mm. you know, playing some tunes. And I gave it to Avon, and he and Bill listened to it on the tour, on the tour van. Oh, and I was wow. super excited about that. Also, because it was such a weird project, it was yeah. just such an, you know, and they thought it was funny. And 
And um, so then I, I even properly introduced us and I gave him my first CD of folk songs, the chicken, but this chicken proved false hearted mm -hmm. and kind of tried to remind him who I was. And he was always sweet. And I gave him the CD, you know, no expectation. Is it a, a colorful um, yes. um, cover? Yes. Uh, with the chicken hovering in the sky. Yeah, it's I think I listened form. to that today also. Yeah, yeah, it's more home. It's the first one. Yeah. It's, the, it's the, really the one. 2007, right? It's, yeah. And it's, mm -hmm. It was recorded. It was completed in 2005, but it took a year to find someone to put it out and then another year to come out. So it's, so I was giving it around as a CDR for ages, for years, mm -hmm. you know, to musicians around cool. the neighborhood and gave it to Bill, no expectation, didn't hear anything. And then I think it's quite a while later, like a full year later, I just got an email from him and I was like, Hey, this is Bill. I'm having a little Samuel party. Cause I would have put my email on the back of all the mm -hmm. things. And he, not only he was checking out the chicken, but he also had one of the CDs I'd given him. Somehow. He still had them, yeah. He had it. Yeah. It was crazy. And he never seemed, it never seemed like he knew who I was when I came, mm -hmm. you know. And yet he somehow made the connection and put him, and he's like, I'm just checking out your music and hope we can play together sometime. Ah. And I was like, I can die happy now. Yes. I'm going to quit, in fact. Yes. This is it. I'm totally done. And, but, I, but then no, I... thank you. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, thanks. I'm busy. But the, uh, and, and I basically, it, then there was... A couple more years of just like keeping an eye on his schedule and not, you know, trying to meet. I met eventually for coffee and just just forming a connection. And I'm glad we didn't play right away because by the time we played together, I just had more to to offer. Yeah, I don't think I would have been ready that that, mm -hmm. that week if he had been like, well, let's play this weekend. I don't mm -hmm. think I would have been ready. Mm -hmm. And and I made another album and That's gave the black and white. All as well, where I'm sure. Oh yeah, that, yeah. And then I think I'd even made. I think I'd even. I think I was. I'd even made the third one by the time we played together. But I gave him that one all as well, and again, just on a CDR. Like I would just make sure you know, try to you know give him this music, and and because uh, I should also say like part of what blew in my mind about Bill was it was somebody in that world like because he was playing a lot of those old folk songs. You know, he had an album called The Willies, mm -hmm. where he played, I think, Sugar Baby and stuff. And it just, like, blew my mind. Anytime somebody in the broader culture, like Kurt Cobain singing this uh, uh, Lead Belly song at the end of um, the Unplugged in New York album from 19, mm -hmm. which is when I was 14, that was, like, the music of my time, you know, and I mm -hmm. bought it when it came out. And, like, and I'm listening to this thing that's, like, this. I'm going to rebel from my parents. I'm going to yeah. listen to some Kurt Cobain, you know, I'm and this is, like, what all the hardcore kids listen to. And at the end, he's like, this is a Lead Belly song. It's my favorite singer. And I was like, what? Lead Belly? Like, mm -hmm. my mom listens to that. Um, so just any, I, I just had a little radar. Anytime people in that world broader, more broadly were engaging with kind of old-time folk stuff, it intrigued me. Because it wasn't as common as it is now. You know, it was mm -hmm. weirder then. It was not as known before, oh, brother, where art thou, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. So then Bill, so anyway... Um, yeah, so just, it was slow and it was organic. We waited for, and then the, the occasion arose and so it came up for us to play together. And then it just felt so good and yeah, and we did. Was it a gig the first year? Yeah, he invited me to come to uh, Ludwigsburg mm -hmm. uh, for a festival that was happening there. And it was with his trio with Avent and Rudy. Um, it was this program we put together of some of my songs, but we were also doing Charles Ives and William Billings, who wrote a lot of Sacred Harp shape note music, which is where a lot of the religious songs in my repertoire come from. And, um, and yeah, so it was kind of a program of all these different things. So that was fun just to do something different as well, to mm -hmm. put it together. And we've done that a couple of times since. So what, what was the first time like? Can you describe how you felt? Yeah, it was exactly 
10 years ago, mm-hmm. one month ago, 10 mm-hmm. years and a month, because my son was about to be born, he's about to turn 10. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was, and it was classic Bill, I was very, I was, I, was, I, I guess I, I was nervous. <clears throat> I did feel already musically, but I was nervous. And Which instrument did you play then? I would have been singing and playing guitar and banjo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't ring my fiddle. <clears throat> and it was, uh, it was, so it was, it was what I was doing at that, you know, time and everything. Um, I came in and I feel like I knew him already. So I must have had a couple of times when we, but I don't know, maybe that's just retrospective. Maybe it just felt natural and that's why I feel that way. I'm not sure. But, but we came in and the thing with Bill is, He's just such a welcoming, and I'm. In, and it's not just. It goes beyond just like being friendly. It's like musically, like mm. musically welcoming. And I was. I think I had a moment right before we started where I was like, "Oh shit!" Like here we go. <laughs> like, Brazil, but yeah. literally within by the third beat, I was like, "Oh yeah, this this makes sense." And he really made you feel like he was lucky to be playing with you. Like he really made you feel that way. Mm. And. And it's very powerful, you know, so mm-hmm. emotional. And, and, and it's just such a, and, I, and it's like, it's such a genuine, like, quality. And I mean, even to an absurd degree, like where, well, I remember that day, because we were doing these Charles Ives songs, you know, and, um, and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're not easy music, but it's not easy. It's not hard to read. It was like this really slow one. And he's like, man, you're a badass sight reader. I was like, if there's Whoa. one thing I'm not, it's, it's, I am definitely not a badass. I'm a yeah. terrible sight reader. Like I am the worst sight reader. I can sight read, which maybe was surprising, but it was, I was like, I was again, that was like so funny. I was like, but, wow. but, but, on a, but on a deeper level, musically, because um, I mean, I really am a terrible. I, I literally can barely. Let's sight check read. it out. Yeah, let's try. <laughs> let's give, give me some music, and um, you'll, I'll, I'll definitely prove it to you. The um, but no, it was just so enveloping as a musician. And when I say that thing about that, it's like it wasn't just like a personal thing. It was like in the music. Yeah. And then that that in that moment, a light bulb again sort of went off, like about the environment that, you know, he creates for the musicians that are on stage with him. Yeah, that's interesting because he can be welcoming as a, as a person. Like, yes. Here's a cup of tea. Yeah, so great. We're so happy you're here. Yeah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Also, maybe. Uh, but how do you do it within the music? Yeah. Is it, is it um, do you think it's about giving space or uh, uh, communicating or um, can you describe it? It's hard to describe. I think... Because of course it's it's it has to it, it's all chemistry between musicians, right? So you know I think there was something natural occurring that was real. You know I think you can't manufacture it as it, it, just because you want people to feel that way. It has to be a real thing. But yeah, I think it has to be. It is something in the music, like with the something about like the the openness of his sound, and mm-hmm. yet there's so much going on in it. Yeah. So it's like and. And, um, yeah, I mean, I had a flip side moment a few years later where, which I was equally thankful for, where, I mean, he, he did, he did shred as well. He really blasted, but it was like, but yeah, it was this enveloping and I, where I sat in, where I was a guest with the Tony and Ken, oh, it was actually Tony and Rudy Royston, Tony Sher and Rudy Royston. And we were on stage and they were doing the, um, it was more me singing, sitting in with them. And it was really, um, and I, you know, played a little fiddle on some of the, Good Dog, Happy Man tunes, mm-hmm. which was an interesting moment because it was like totally I was in heaven, 
Mm-hmm. Because that's that's really what my dream would have been. My dream, like if you had said, well, you're going to play with him. Like if, if you had come to me like as a fairy from the future when I was 16, like, you're going to sing songs and he'll play with you band. songs. I'd be like, I don't want to do that. I want to be like, a, I want to be like somebody they hire as an improviser on violin. Like, you know what I mean? That, like my dream was not to be a singer and a, a, a guitar player. My dream was not to be a, a singer that people play. My dream was like to be like, Mark Ribot or Bill or like mm-hmm. one of these or Avon or somebody like that like that was my dream was to which could be like a sideman improviser instrumentalist mm-hmm. which has not become my life right mm-hmm. and because your life becomes what it should become not what your dream of it is right because right. that really wasn't my thing even though I thought it would be you know mm-hmm. and so playing the fiddle on that tune was funny because it was like this is it this is the actual dream yeah. and yet and I'm playing fine I'm shredding away I'm having a great time but it's like this isn't what it was really you know the other like this other music that I've made is why the connection has happened. And it's this mm-hmm. other music that's the real, you know what I mean? It was kind yeah. of a funny moment of like, you have your, yeah, it's like your dreams are not what you think they're going to be or something. It's mm-hmm. something else. But in that same show, and I don't know if they'll listen to this and disagree, I don't know, but um, the, um, but we got into a tune and I was, and he just let it rip. And it's like, he forgot that he's a nice person. He was, and I was like, I do not deserve to be on stage right now. And I was so excited to be like, to have that feeling too. Cause I, I almost like when he did, he kind of went back to, he was just ripping, man. He was just mm-hmm. like going mental. And it was like, yes, he's doing it. Like he's yes. forgotten that he's the nice guy. And now he's just sure. It was so great. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was like equally thankful for that moment as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And he almost, after he's like, he literally came up and I was like, Oh, so was that okay? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are you kidding? I wouldn't give anything to have been on stage at that moment. Wow. It was so great. So it's not like being deferential either. It's like power, you know, it's, but, but there was something about that first moment. And I get maybe because it was the first moment mm-hmm. of no, on a deep cellular musical level, knowing how to welcome somebody in to the stage. Mm. But I took something from that moment. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I thought about how would it be if we take the first song from your last album and listen to it together? Great. And you just let me know what 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 it feels like. Sounds fun. You. Yeah. Should we try this? Yeah. We're gonna do this soundwise like this. All good. Yeah. So should I like jazz talk through it or wait? Whatever you feel like. <laughs> Whatever you feel like. What instrument is this? So the chords. That's Barrett Cools, and he's playing some sort of guitar synth. Mm. And he just did it. play after I have the voice memo that I made at the sound check where I came up with that. Oh great. Which then became a little bit of a model for this track. And Chris was Chris is playing drums, but at the sound check Chris was sound checking his synth. Mm-hmm. And I just played that this riff over the top. And Chris kinda kind of ignored me and was playing all this weird shit underneath it just kind of inspires what Barrett does at the beginning. I'm very curious where you feel the beat. You? Yeah. The only thing that throws me off uh, 
It's the drums. It's the drums. Yeah, because it fe I always feel like, okay, the snare, right. is it really there? Right. And then I tried to listen to it the other way. I was cool. like, I can't do it. It doesn't make sense to me. Totally. I have to stay with how it felt. Totally. It feels natural. And what's, what is going on in our ears? I've always been curious when we... Yeah. You want to do a pause for the topic? Yeah. Sure. Or, or, or pause, yeah. Yeah. Like, what's going on in our ears when we hear the downbeat in a yeah, different place? It? It's such yeah. a mysterious gestalt thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's hard, hard to come back to it. It's great. Yeah. Once you're, uh, you're lost or in a different place. There's I mean, a Nick Drake song that I've never, ever been able to figure out where he thinks that, which, which is the downbeat. Which one? I'll be able to find it. We'll play it. Let's play it next. Okay, cool. And you can all play it with no bias and you can tell me where you think yes. it is. But it's such a mysterious, like, what is that shift? Like when you, what, what is your brain doing when you, and it's because you say it's so powerful. Like yeah. when you hear stuff, there's times when I've come, so, this song comes on the radio and it sounds so amazing. Yeah. And then you realize you've just had the downbeat in the wrong place. And it's like, when you switch, it sounds, doesn't sound good anymore. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Because it's mysterious in the first moment. We're like, where's this? Even when it happens, like on a Mariah Carey song. Or yeah, whatever, on completely. The radio, like, wow, how did she arrive? Oh, oh yeah. It's just my, my mind yeah, made yeah. it more interesting. I know. <laughs> completely. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Back. back to it. And again, oh, we can talk about it. Oh, yeah? Playing um, Moog synthesizer. There's also a bass synth. I don't know if he's playing them both at the same time or if he overdone the camera. Because this is mostly one take. Yes. We played it all together? Yeah. yeah. Cool. And then Maggie, is that an old song? Yes. Or, yeah? I can play the original. Oh, great. It's not that different. I mean, harmonically, it's not that different. That's you? That's Leo. Uh, who he mixed the record, he added some and additional production, he added some. Okay. And it's just one banjo take. But you can hear there's like a distorted banjo yeah. playing it. That's like all Leo just like wow. chopping stuff. It's, it's, He's not moving anything, but he's putting it through various filters. Mm -hmm. So it's all, that's all, it's, all, it's only one, it's one banjo take, but Leo did all this great, like, weird cutting in. Oh, cool. Driving albums, yeah. good to hear. Driving albums, dishwashing albums, right? Dinner, obviously, yeah. eating dinner sure. albums. Sure. Walking around albums, also. Train albums. True. Train albums. That's a yeah. special one. Uh, Sunny. What's the name? Uh, uh, that album where um, Groundhog is on. Uh, Bright Sunny Self. Yeah, I always want to say Bright Sunny Self, but <laughs> yeah, that's I listen to it on the train, like um, 
uh, two days ago, two times on the way to where I was going and one time on the way back. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm so honored to hear that. That, that's the guitar as well. That's their Barrett. Oh. That's some guitar synth. Beautiful. He's fantastic. And that's all the same take. That's great. I, I love when when uh, when you find sounds that don't sound like the actual instrument. Yeah. And uh, so they transcend uh, what your ear can grasp right yes. away. Yes. And that's another weird ear gestalt thing. Is like how that I've been thinking about later is like how differently we hear stuff based on what we expect the instrument to do. Yes. It's so weird. Like when you you'll hear something you're like that's insane, and then you realize, oh, it wasn't a saxophone; it was a keyboard. Mm -hmm. That's good. Like you, you're, it's and it's not like a judgment thing. It's like a weird ear thing. Yeah. Because it's even with voices. Like if you know hear a voice, and if you think it's a male voice, it sounds high, and if you think it's a female voice, it sounds low. It's like mm -hmm. those weird. It's true. Expectations. Uh, it puts it into context right away, and then already puts a stamp on it. Yeah. Although where you don't. Because that's what it I shouldn't love. matter. Yeah, right. If if I don't know what it is, then I can just take yes. it in and see how it moves. Yes, me. totally. Because I thought about that. I had this. Uh, I remember being in college, and there we were in. I was in my friends. Uh, they were like the printmaking studio, and there was this really crappy CD player, and it had a, a EQ knob, and I was listening to John Coltrane. It's the last concert, the Olatunyi concert. Mm -hmm. It's really, really bad recording quality, so it's pretty raw to begin with. Yes. And it was in the middle of Coltrane's, you know, blazing solo, and I was like messing with the high. It was the EQ was sort of messing with the high pass and low pass, which made it sound like he was an electric guitar player through wah wah. Yeah. And it was like your whole way of hearing it just changed completely. Like yes. I heard it in this totally new way. Yes. And it was incredible. Like it sounded like Sonny Chirac or something, you know. Mm -hmm. And and but like but with you know and again like my just something about it's something about putting it through a filter that made me no longer hear it as a saxophone. And all of a sudden I was hearing his actual melodies in a way that when I heard it as saxophone I just thought, oh yeah, that's just like yeah. saxophone runs like mm -hmm. like weird we have these different Yes. But the, one thing but, but one thing related to what you're saying around this track is like without hearing these sounds and not knowing that was fun about this album is with electronics now you know we've gotten to this level where people can improvise through these things things that sound very manicured mm. you know a lot of stuff like this track would probably sound like stuff that was carefully overdubbed or whatever i don't mm. know maybe it doesn't sound that way but and yet it was like and some of that is leo like with my banjo and stuff but a lot of those synth sounds, like that's just one take of Barrett, you know. That's so cool. And so, and yet he's able to, you know, he's imp so he's improvising, mm. and yet he's able to improvise through this sonic mm -hmm. world. And same with Shazad with the Moog, like mm. he, which is not a new technology, but you know, he he's same thing. It's like he's improvising, he's making all those harmonic decisions up on the spot, you know. Yeah. And then you can adjust a little of them after as you need, but you know, again, like it's sonically like the their ability to sort of sonically, which is of course a challenge in our world now because. When you listen to stuff from the '70s, you can hear the effort. I think right, yeah. in a lot of those electronic no textures. Sometimes, right? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. So it's harder now to to kind of access that space. Maybe, I don't mm -hmm. know. but but this was an album where you know working with those guys, it was able the people was able to sort of like explore that space in a improvising capacity. Cool. And my my this album is very much the kind of fullest possibly maybe the full well it's not all albums are like this in different ways but of mine which is like 
being very careful or very, you know, organic and close with the choice of people, but extremely open. Mm. I mean, Chris just played that beat. I've never, of all the, Chris is the drummer on the last four records. Mm. And I've never, I can only think of one time, Walking Boss, I kind of uh, hummed him, like, I sort of sang a rhythm for him to play. That's the only time. Like, mm. everything else he's doing is just what he started to do in that moment, you know? That's a cool beat on Walking Boss. It's yeah. killer, yeah. yeah. I had it in the mind. I'd heard this song on the radio. I have, I've heard it many times. I gotta go find out. It's so good. But it just had this beat that I always was hearing. Mm. And Chris didn't just play my beat. He took it to a... A different place mm -hmm. for he took it much further from what I sang like I couldn't have played it he mm -hmm. played some deep thing and it's very hard most for other drummers to play but the um because it's really his feel but but that's the only time every other place every other beat he plays is what you know and same much to thought it's like you can't tell him what to do it's he'll do something <laughs> else anyway and and so um it just very much allowing and with Leo too in terms of his you know decisions he was making in the mixing process that You know, I was just like very open to mm. where, where he took and the f There are some albums where I've maybe had a little more, like Lilio was more collaborative. Well, there are, no, I don't mean more collaborative. Lilio was more kind of shaping the songs. But again, all the musicians had such a huge, mm -hmm. it's like very, very open to what people. Yeah. And that comes again from like the Don Cherry thing, I think, like, mm -hmm. like, it's not about you, the album, you know, you're at the center, but it's like, it's just a great place for other people to do their, you know, the point is for it to be a platform and a context. Yeah. Mm. Do you want to show the voice memo? Of the oh yeah, that'd be yeah. fun. And I can, well, play it now, go to, if you have the old YouTube on there. Uh, let me see. <laughs> Are you on the Wi-Fi? Yes. Um, well, I'll play you a little Maggie first. Oh yeah, cool. If you go to YouTube, so or I can play it for the speaker here. Maggie, and then... No, search Tommy Gerald, J-A-R-R-E-L-L, -L, I think. And then... The Tommy, say again. Tommy. And then? Gerald, J-A-R-R-E-L-L. -L. And it's Little Maggie. It may not be there, in which case I can play a different version. <laughs> eccentricities and edges around the music are there in those recordings like you notice he takes an extra beat at the end of the mm. first line just because he's taking a breath you know yeah. has, the, all those qualities are in that's there. great and a lot of the weird intonation stuff mm -hmm. uh, so if you go oh yeah i can call up the memo how's the tea for you delicious fine? yes 
Let's say the sound check. Hmm. That's all I remember of the song. <laughs> so it's just, you know, just like, thank Capturing God, that thank God for the voice memo yeah. app. Yeah. Just like grabbing it in that moment and what Chris happened to be up to and <laughs> grew it. We grew, so it, cool. grew it from there. Do you want to show me that Nick Drake song? That we, we oh, yeah, yeah, totally. On? It's on Pink Moon. Here, I'll find it. Oh, yeah. Have it. Nope. <laughs> Next so one. one. I love that track. Next one. Harvest Breed. Curious where you hear it. I know where I hear it, so you can you can whenever you feel it, you can tap it out, and then we'll see where we're at. I know where I feel it. Yeah. Where? I think that's probably where it is, but I hear it is. What? Oh. <laughs> one, two, three, four, one. heard it the other way first so but something about that last moment where it gets a bit floaty always feels to be leading to that bass note well the thing is where, where he sings it is a different place yeah where as opposed to where i feel it right right exactly so the, the vocal also the compl vocal. complicates it it's so good it's so short i can't help it <laughs> like here i would hear it where you hear it yeah Singing it kind of shit. No, it's just a purely conceptual gest a yeah. consciousness remix. Yeah. I just urge people to hear it in that way, and that's my remix. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's... Um, that's another one, like, you know, that album, I mean, if anything, it influenced yeah. my music, it's that record. Mm. And yet, I never went and listened to the other ones, and mm -hmm. I listened to it, I mean, I remember when my friends, I had, yeah, I had these two friends, Jake and Zach, who were huge 
uh, influence because they and you know, music listening and stuff. Yeah. And they gave that to everybody for Christmas. Yeah. They're just like as friends, they yeah. just gave it to everybody. And it was when it first came out on CD, and everybody in America was dis- discovering it at first. And um, mm-hmm. I definitely I listened to it at least ten times the first day I got yeah. it. And it's very short. Also. It's twenty eight can... minutes. Yeah. And and there's this album by a musician who was another huge influence. Although somebody I don't doesn't come up as much in conversation these days, who's called Chris Whitley, and he made an album called Dirt Floor, mm-hmm. which is also twenty eight minutes long, mm. and which is also totally solo, mm. and which is also really beautiful. But it's very different because he plays like steel guitars and he has kind of a blues background, like, mm-hmm. and just incredibly beautiful singer. And that album I've listened to like ten times more than Pink Moon. Wow. And his guitar playing really influenced me hugely. Again, but more like after the fact, because I couldn't, since I didn't play guitar, I couldn't really fold his influence in, but he used a lot of open tunings in his mm. songwriting. And uh, he made an, this out. He made an album called Perfect Day, which mm-hmm. is all covers with Billy Martin and Chris Wood. Both mm. played great on it. And it's a beautiful record. Incredible singing. Check it out. Um, but he made this album, Dirt, Dirt Floor, which is like, and then I heard Pink Moon after. And ah. I was like, oh, these are like, and I think it was a little bit, I think he'd heard it before mm. he made it, even though he's a very different musician. But yeah, this album, I didn't really listen to it that much after that first day. Mm-hmm. I think I just, but you know, completely. Yeah, for me, it's an ever so many I advances. always go back to it. I do go back yeah. to it. I mean, it's the most beautiful album ever. Yeah, it's uh, very beautiful. Can we go back to uh, Walking Boss? Do you want to? Yeah. Uh, uh, Talk a little bit about it. The the song? Yeah. Yeah, let's do one that's not banjo. Yeah, it's too bright sunny song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I wish, right? Yeah. That's Tom's song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shazad on drums. Somebody on the organ. 
What did you tell him? So <laughs> I just well we had he came he overdumped his part and um and we I just said I just gave him the key. It's I think I I don't know what I did I told him for the key because I, I again like it's like I just I think I said yeah it's like a D I said like a, yeah it's like a D tonality. That's all. And it's amazing because um so the do you want the overall story? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so well, first of all, uh, there's an. Have you heard this? There's a track by Joe Henry called "Richard Pryor Addresses a Tearful Nation," no. and Ornette Coleman plays saxophone. Oh it. yes, you heard that? Yeah, that's on a black and white sort of cover. Yes, right? Scar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I've heard that. And um, and so I was totally obsessed with that track, and the way Ornette played, and I love the song. It's amazing, and. Uh, and like to me again that was a really light bulb like when i heard that like it's this like bluesy songwriter record mm. and then ornette's there and he's fully there as ornette and yet it doesn't it's not annoying to have it, it feels so natural and good you know yeah. and and also with ornette on that track and I've, I've talked to and asked joe henry about it since when i met him which is like you know he's like this thing of like spending a lifetime playing totally open music. Mm. I mean, obviously his music has many layers of complexity. It's not just freedom improvisation, but you know, but in, you know, playing this experimental like Ornette's music for his whole life. And then for him to be on like this real blues song like that and for him to play fully as Ornette and yet it's all the Texas side of him in there as well. Just, I listened to that song over and over again. And it really was a light bulb in terms of, trying to bring these worlds a bit together, you know, mm. and finding ways of bringing soloists where it's like their spirit through their instrument, mm. you know, and yet it not just sounding like fusion, like not sounding like jazz meets folk or, you know, just completely trying to get way beyond that and just have it feel exciting and beautiful. And so I had an idea. I knew that I wanted to have like an instrumentalist, like somebody coming in from a different world on the record in some way. And, Chris, I think, pointed out that Chris Badalara pointed out that he lived somehow it came up that he lived in London, which I think I've forgotten. And because I've since learned about the Windmill Tilter album, mm -hmm. which I know you love, but I only knew about Gnu High as the initial record. So because that's from the mid 70s, I had thought he was probably was like 25 then or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I thought he was younger and probably thought that he'd be much busier on the tour. And so I tried to get like manager contact and what when they came back with was just like a home phone number landline and so i called the home phone and i'm like very nervous and 
you know, his wife answers and puts him on the phone and I'm trying to sort of tell him who I am and sort of like, oh, I'm doing this and this and I'm doing this and I'm on this late, you know, none such, blah, blah, blah. And eventually he just said, when is it? <laughs> and I was like, Dave, like, well, it's between 8th, February 18th and 30th. And I was like, when? And he's just like, and, and, it based, and, and then I, and I told him, he's like, send it to me on a postcard, the info. <laughs> so I was like, you come for one hour, you know, play, play on two songs. And I sent him a postcard with the info and he showed up that day. And of course he was much older than I realized. He was yeah. in his early eighties. And I don't know what his health thing was, but it seemed like maybe he'd had some stroke. Like he was moving very slowly, yeah. really. And Jerry, the engineer, who's also kind of from an earlier generation as well, he was in his sixties, but Jerry and I were like kind of helping him walk into the place and mm. really, you know, and he sat down and like to reaching down to get his trumpet and, Jerry was sort of saying, or we were kind of thinking like, there's no way he can play trumpet. Like you couldn't be this infirm and old and make a sound on a trumpet, you know, if he was a fiddle player or whatever, a piano yeah. player, but trumpet. And we were kind of thinking like, okay, how will we kind of just have him record something and make him feel, I, you know, I, whatever, I, I knew we'd, we'd get something. And um, he asked for a cup of coffee and headphones and, and boom, like he started to warm up and he was just like, oh yeah, that's Kenny Wheeler. You know, he just sounded like himself. And I was like, you wow. he's like, I play every day at home. And he was super sweet, you know, very soft-spoken as he mm. legendarily is. And I just gave him the key. And the funny thing is, which someday I have to release the Kenny Wheeler edit, because he basically started playing when I told him the key. And so then we started the track and he just kept on playing. <laughs> and the whole he just song. plays the whole time he just blasts like ornette style like yeah. just improvise the whole time complete disregard as to whether i'm singing or not i mean yeah. just blast it yeah and track ended he kept on playing i mean it was Great. amazing so i definitely should release the kenny wheeler yes. edit someday yes but and like at some point I was like is he listening at all like can he is he deaf like and um but you know if you listen like he quotes some of the piano lines and stuff mm -hmm. so he's definitely in the zone yeah and we we uh, so obviously i edited out a lot mm -hmm. but i didn't move anything like you're always hearing what you know he's playing moment. that music yeah. yeah nothing no no copy and paste or no yeah, shift yeah, yeah. no shuffle you know it was and it's only taken from maybe two takes but just I mean, come on, like, wow. what was something for us all to aspire to, mm -hmm. like to improvise on that level again, though, in a way that just is so natural mm -hmm. in the music. And that track was, I was sort of fun. I had recorded my solo version first. I had my track solo, just the voice and guitar. And then I had the musicians do like a, a musical chairs round robin where we did the first half of the, where just to see what would happen. So there was one where Shazad on drums and Thomas on piano. And then we would move them all to the left and have Thomas and ended up using the first half of one of those and the second half of another. Mm. So that's what the drums fade out because it's a whole shift of everybody moving one chair over. Mm -hmm. So then the second half is um, the organ. And yeah, so, and it was just like, and then that's when sort of Kenny opens up, just a little bit of sculpting mm. to give it a sort of, yeah, shift shift the world a little bit. Great. Wow. Kenny Wheeler. Yeah. Well, and I learned so much more about his music since. Like, I really only knew Gnu High and Dear One. Mm -hmm. And then I've learned about all the other stuff since. Great albums. Yeah. Great albums. How about the one with Frizzell? Angel Song? Mm -hmm. Masterpiece. Yeah. So good. That was one that a lot of people talked about when I was younger, but I've never like, you know, sprung for it. I've never spent the eight because the ECMs are a bit more expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it's so gorgeous. Yeah. You love that record. I love that record. That's my favorite Kenny Wheeler album. Wow. I think. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
looking at you or experiencing you listening to your own music, I kind of um, get a sense that we may be similar um, in terms of, I feel like I'm, I try to make the music that I myself would like to listen to. Yes. And I get closer to it with each uh, record maybe. Uh, and sometimes I, I don't get close to it. You know, I, I, I fail, but I work on it that I can enjoy it myself. Right? Yeah. Not in a kind of, uh, I'm the greatest way or whatever, but totally. I think for me, uh, I listen to music since I was, a, since I was born and I, I, I love the feeling of in, enjoying music and hearing something that, that connects with me. And I think one of the reasons why we do music is we want to have that feeling too and we yes. want to create that too. So we listen to all the stuff that we love and then when we do it ourselves, we, we want to get closer to that feeling yeah. where, where we're moved by it. That's beautiful for you to say that. And I think it's true. People, it's common to hear people say they can't, they don't listen to their own music. And I'm sure that's valid for whatever that thing. But I think it's also people are sometimes probably shy to say that, admit yeah. that they enjoy their own music. Yeah. So it's beautiful for you to say that. And I heard a great thing of Samuel L. Jackson. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, I, or I didn't, it wasn't an interview. I just saw this, an article about him that apparently, like, that he, that he says that he really enjoys his performances. And he'll often go buy a ticket to a movie that ah. he's in and go sit and enjoy people enjoy which I love that he yeah. I love that so great yeah. but also I think what you said is the very first part of what you said which is a bit different because it's one thing that they sort of admit like that yeah so, but also there's an honesty in it but also the very first thing you said about making the music that we'd want to hear both in terms of but and that's there that goes back to that quality that imagination that I was saying around the sort of memory of my teenage years of listening how it was really about imagination where I didn't, I couldn't learn that much about, and I'm speaking on behalf of all of us at that mm. time, you know, you couldn't learn that, especially if you lived in a smaller town or whatever, mm. you know, you, these people were kind of like your Marvel superheroes. You couldn't really, yeah. and, 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 and yet it was, but the version of when you only have three or four books, so you have to invent all the other stories yourself mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, you, it was an imaginary world and you made your own connections. that were often wrong but interesting about, yeah. and the whole phenomenon of like the, the lost album that would get described or, an, or even an obscure record that you couldn't yeah. find. And maybe 10 years later, now you go hear it on YouTube and you're like, oh, that's good. But, but, but your imagination of it yeah. was like mythical and yeah. way more powerful and more interesting. Yes. And I definitely have, I definitely feel like a lot of my albums have been like, just like things like, making music for my younger self, like that, mm. who that kid, you know, would have loved to hear, would have yeah. dreamed of it, hearing the, some different, these kind of combinations or this yeah. music. And it's really for that younger, that younger self who would be discovering these mm -hmm. things or, yeah. I can relate and, to that. And that's, it's so, it's beautiful to hear you say that about your own music. I think it's a good thing to strive for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of, and a lot of ways of in keeping inspired, for new records are sort of like both like what's been left out of the previous like what sides of me or what sides of things I love have not haven't appeared on a record yet mm -hmm. like what have I not explored yeah. but also also um, also that kind of imagination and, and just what, what what are those zones of imagination of like oh that would be you know some musical thing you could imagine it seems impossible or seems mm -hmm. yeah 
I think uh, Rob Stillman also talked about it in one yes. in, in the interview of uh, uh, not being able to get a certain record, only seeing the cover and seeing the lineup and then yes. imagining what I, it sounds like. Yes, uh, I remember that from that interview. Yeah. I loved when he was, and I was completely like yeah, feeling yeah. that what he was talking about then. Absolutely, yeah. And it's hard to not. You don't want to sound like a sort of a grumpy old man, like man when we were kids and mm. it was like this and. And, you know, there's so many elements of that. Of, you know, of course, the other phenomenon that I think about these days is like buying a CD and you'd spent 15 bucks on it and it didn't, you didn't really like it. Yeah. But you'd bought it. So yeah. you owned it now. You're going to listen to it to make But, it worth your while. I mean, while. we both have kids. Don't you think yeah. they, will, they will have the same thing with their version. generation? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. You guys don't, didn't know yeah. what it was like when we had YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Maybe nothing will be available again. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> you could hear everything. It was yeah, amazing. Right. <laughs> Or I don't know where, where it'll, it'll go, but yeah. it's usually that's the They'll generation before. It's like, uh, it's own. always like, of course. you don't know what it was yeah, like. No, it's, this is our version of that. Yeah. Um, but yes, I loved that on Robert. And I really loved, because I listened to all your interviews, I loved the one with Chris Wiseman. Because oh, yeah. he's from, you know, he lives See, in Brattleboro. And we don't know each other very well. And, and we, we've been getting it for a bit in the last few years. And he's a mythical figure, of course, mm -hmm. a legendary figure. But we don't, he came, I think he moved around when I went to college. So it's sort of different Brattleboros that we know. And I was, I, you know, so, and it was like hearing this whole parallel but different You know, so much of his discovery around music or like so many of the same things he was talking about, even like and Miles places. and Coltrane. The Co and oh, yeah. No, I didn't even mean like just jazz, like like the Miles and Coltrane 1960 tour in the mm -hmm. Stockholm. And, which, yeah. and like and the Coltrane's weird passive aggressive playing on that stuff, which is so interesting <laughs> to me. And, and like so anyway, it was just so fun because it was like hearing this whole other. And yeah, but then a lot of this nearby like New Hampshire or, yeah. you know, but it was like not quite the same people, but then overlapping things and. So That's cool. it was yeah. it's, it was really fun to listen to that. Mm. What I wanted to to get at uh, when when I introduced the idea of making the music that you would like to listen to yourself, it's like uh, how do you deal with when you're not getting there, uh, or when you're when you feel like feel lost? <coughs> or, uh, I mean, the topic of self criticism and and uh, worrying about stuff or or Yeah. So judging yourself. How do you deal with that? I uh, I'm a pretty like a uh, passive gentle person in that way. Like that's not really my like zone. I'm sure I figure out a way to do it because I do have quality control somewhere, I think. It's not like mm -hmm. I just do stuff. So but it's not really around like self-criticism. It's more like I think it's more for me like how like what whether the creative flow is happening and how to find it and to not force it like but like i i've never um i did i now i have a decent little recording setup but like i've never like i've like like thomas this my, my friend thomas you know he's like become That's a the pianist yes yeah. he's become a producer and his dream is just to be in the studio all the time right yeah. he just and he's he's made that his reality he produces records and plays on records and he's just every day in the studio And for me, I realized, even though I love being in the studio, but that I, for me, I, I wouldn't want to be in every day. I kind of like it to be, we have three days and we're just going to play. In the, and I don't even do long days. We do like, you know, short days because I just want it to feel like this is the moment. Mm -hmm. I want it to feel special. Mm -hmm. And, and I then, and then I won't be in the studio again for a year, you know, and, mm -hmm. or longer. So it's like kind of just, and yeah, I don't know, like, 
it, I think it's more around just sort of facilitating and trying to, because the thing with creativity is so mysterious um, is like, I'm sure you know this, it's like, it's not just like something that's in you as a consistent or like it can be brought out in a moment. Mm-hmm. You can have no ideas. Yeah. And then you get with somebody and all of a sudden you have these ideas because mm-hmm. something shifts. What you know, So it's like, it's such a weird, you know, it's like, a, it's a weird, mysterious thing. Mm-hmm. So for me, my daily activity really is listening. And I mean, you could definitely easily say that I'm addicted to, to music listening. Yeah. And, to, and there's times when I had to quit and get completely, you know, because I realized it was clogging up my brain, right? You have to have room yeah. for ideas, uh, room to digest for your own stuff, stuff to happen and yeah. to digest. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just, it's, and now it's like terrible because all this stuff, you know, and there's it's the so, same with me. And I do, are you an addictive music listener as yes, well? Yes, totally. Totally. I, uh, yes. Uh, we're in, yeah, we're at the we're in the group now. Yeah, my name is Sam. Yeah, how do, how do we call our group like <laughs> listeners anonymous? Or yeah, whatever? definitely. Yeah, and it's the greatest joy of my life. But again, there's something a bit you know insular about having the headphones on and mm-hmm. yeah. blasting just the stuff into your head over and over. And at a certain point, you kind of have to. Yeah, but I, I get asked a lot uh, like, when do you find the time to listen to all that stuff? And uh, For me, it's normal yeah, to, what do you to mean com- all day long. Yeah, to combine <laughs> to combine activities with listening yeah, to music, washing dishes, yeah, yeah, everything. Like going to the supermarkets, being in the supermarket totally. is way more uh, fun for me. Totally listening to Coltrane. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, completely. Uh, or uh, I've never gotten. I feel like there's like people where you sort of get over it, like, oh, that was you know the youngie. They oh, I listened a lot. And now that's like I'm still the teenager of that. Yes, and I don't yeah. know. Some like should I be like it, like should I be curbing it i don't know yeah. should, I, should i be am, am, is it too comfortable now am i just am i actually enriching myself or am i just like listening to more stuff that's just sort of i enjoy or should i be pushing or mm-hmm. it's a yeah it's a funny but so i but I, again it kind of helps me the thing that i think is positive about it is like it takes it off of your own ego and your own self and your any of that worrying about whether you're being creative or not. it's like i find listening is i find other music and this is true i mean you do this in such a beautiful and deep way through these interviews and everything and but you know it's like just it's nice to take the intention just to look at other stuff that's oh yeah sure but that's practice too i feel like oh sure yeah like i use it as an excuse not to practice like no i'm I'm listening to this album that i didn't know before and trying to analyze it with while i'm while i'm listening to it yeah and uh because i know next time i go to the piano It'll be yeah. It'll be somewhere in there, yeah. you know. No, it's definitely important for there to be like to the some creative flow, and if it's not happening, I'm sure I do get down or whatever. So mm. I definitely and I, I, I my friend like I remember a friend saying because like I used to be more I think attached to certain ideas of creativity and kinds of creativity, and I would be worried if certain kinds of them were not happening. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like I had kind of like a wilder. It's, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't limit that. It's that. But there was sort of like, like when I made that Home Alone inside my head thing I mentioned, and I was sort of telling like a lot of those stories, and and they still happen, but it was like more in, intense. And I, if that started to fade, I would get worried or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I think a friend, a friend sort of, my friend Gabe was saying like, he's just like, well, as long as I, I think he was saying like, as long as there's creative energy happening, it doesn't matter what form it's in, right? Like if mm-hmm. it's maybe right now it's more around music and around 
you know, making like collaborative music making and less around some internal personal creative language, you know, mm. and then maybe it shifts. So I think I don't, I don't really beat myself about what form it is as long as it's there somehow. Yeah. But it is that mysterious thing of like, what, what is going to be the context that will unlock it? Cause sometimes I'll just be like, like sometimes I'll be a concert and I play my songs and it's a fine concert, but sometimes the sound will be in such a way, like it'll be bad sound in a way that is kind of cool. <laughs> and then like, I'll oh, start, it'll just like, it's like some beast has been unleashed and I start playing all this crazy shit that, yeah. you know, I think of a concert I did many years ago and it was, it was amazing. It was in a teeny, teeny pub in a teeny, teeny town. It was like in between these two mountains in Northern England. Mm. It was crazy. And it was like the back room of a pub and it was like 10 people there and none of them Maybe two of them had come to see me and the rest were just like the local drinkers at the pub. Mm. And it was the, it was like 10 people in the audience in this little pub. And it was the loudest. The guy had the sound system just blasting. <laughs> and my monitors were just like, me- I mean, it was like playing for these 10 people who didn't give a shit. Mm. And it was just like, it was like somebody had lit a match. Like I was just like, it was the best. Like I was on fire yeah. and I played all kinds of crazy shit that I could not do right now. If you asked me to, because it was just like something about the environment being so mm. careless and random and loud and yeah. fucked up just was like, yeah, you know? Yes. And it was like, so it's so weird. You can't really, you can't, you can try and create it. Like Shazad, who I play with really tries and, creates those atmospheres he and that's why he's valuable in the studio because mm. there's albums he's on that he's you wouldn't really hear some of the albums I'm, i made he you can hear a lot of him on them but some of them he's not even that present musically in terms of the product but what he's doing in the room was just making just it, being there right? yeah and just like bringing this humor and this you know again go back to him you know whatever but just like bringing this energy that just threw this just you know a thing into the room that made people mm. feel a different way. Mm-hmm. So he really tries to make it. Whereas I don't, I don't think I can force. I don't think. I mean, I shouldn't say I can't force it, but like, I don't kind of actively try it. But I am looking for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that you are pushing for that too. Like I heard that through the people I uh, some some students that I encountered in Basel, uh-huh. and they were telling me about your visit and that you were looking to push that, you know, to give them that, which is a beautiful thing to try and because it would never occur to me to kind of try and figure out how to convey that. Like I don't talk about it very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not sure what exactly that meant. Like uh, getting getting yourself into a zone where you're more creative, or, or... yeah. Yeah. And just trying to get out of the habits of yeah, yeah, yeah. life or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yes, I do that quite a lot when I when I play uh, uh, in terms of giving myself a rule or whatever or a limit. Yeah. Uh, a limit more. And that limit really gets me out of my comfort zone yeah. and thereby uh, pushes me to play different stuff. Like yeah. I'm only going to play perfect fourths now. Cool. And that's, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. my musical output now yeah let me be <clears throat> within that within that realm and then yes. that uh right when i say that a lot of things that i normally would do are off limits right i, I can't do them right and i think a lot of great music has um has come out of decisions like that like yes. miles saying okay i'm only going to play d yes. minor and e flat minor yes let's see what we can do with this Yes. It's a great a great choice, you know. Totally. And you see the guy struggling with it. I mean yes. Ken Ball wants to play other stuff as well within yes. D minor. Yes. You know. But at the same time, that's 
it's that beginner thing of like, that's what makes that one so compelling is because they're like now people are so comfortable with these languages, right? Yeah. But it's like how to get back to that place where they, where he created it when they weren't. Absolutely. It was so good. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm always looking for That's when, great. when somebody says something <clears throat> like this. So what kind of decision did you do to uh, get out of your automatic yeah. stuff that you yeah. usually play? Yeah, and I can easily look through the records and see like play things that I was doing that I was uncomfortable with if I was, you know, discovering by doing the records. Mm. They wouldn't necessarily be noticeable from the outside, but mm. there was always, you know, something. I'm not sure that what, what that'll be next right now. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to uh, know about Warren. That's one of my favorite yes. pieces of yours. Yes. So um, we can go on a little Warren Odyssey. Uh, uh, maybe you think, uh, maybe can I'll email this thing to you to sure. play. So, uh, Warren, one second. This is what my sheet of it looks like. Oh my God, <laughs> I love it. You did it. You did the Frizzell. <laughs> you made the chart. That's so beautiful, man. And I'm not sure how you would write it down. I don't, I, I mean, I know how to write music. Like it looks like it's second grader writing music, but um, I don't, I don't, I don't write anything down. Huh. Nothing. And I don't think in terms of chord, one thing that comes a little bit from the uh, Irish music thing is like, I don't really think in terms of chord types or it's more modal kind of thing of like uh, just shapes or it's, it's these three notes and, you know, uh, like I would just like, I'll say to somebody like, you can just play in D with, and it'll work. Like you'll be yeah. fine the whole time, except for this one chord. Like yeah. I'm not really thinking of the and internal chord shifts. But I would sure these are accurate, but I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is beautiful, man. That's so cool. So I'll give you a, I'll, I'll go away from this for a second yeah. to give you a little, the, the journey towards the song, and then we can look at the actual song. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> what is this? So, okay. is it working? Okay, yes. this is in the town. Okay, so. This is young Sam with my parents who used to do little folk concerts. Right. This is in the town of Warren, which is a town in Vermont in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Now, um, there's a tradition called Sacred Harp, or shape note music, mm -hmm. which is this... I won't go too deep into it now because I've done it many times elsewhere, but mm -hmm. for people who are, don't know what it is, it's called just look up shape note or Sacred Harp, and we can talk about it. But in, in, in some very, very small... It's an old New England folk hymn singing tradition, but it was never done in church. It was always a social tradition. Right. And, it served, and it was really cool because it was people who were untrained in music writing four-part choral harmony. So it's mm -hmm. mental. It's all open fifths, parallel fifths, oh, breaking cool. all the rules. It sounds like Steve Reich, but it's in seven, you know, 1800. And then it moved west and south and is a surviving tradition in the south, which was revived in the 70s throughout the rest of the world. There's a weekly sing here in Cologne. Mm. And it's very popular. It's really fun to sing. It's very loud folk singing, but in a choral setting. It's very strange. So, and they would take these old English poems and set them to music. Yeah. So Warren is the name of the Sacred Harp song, which is the text of most of my Warren uh, set to music. But it's entirely different music. My, this, the Warren is my own musical mm -hmm. composition. So let's hear yeah. young Sam and his parents singing Warren, the Sacred Harp song. Welcome, 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 sweet, 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 sweet
Oh, so oh, I just went too fast. That's right, man. Age 12. Newly 12. You're six years older than me, I think. I just turned 40. So that's Warren. Great. That's the Sacred Harp song. So um, then <clears throat> I was in a, a friend's house in London, and they had a guitar for their, a kid's guitar for their kid. It was pretty busted, and it only was in tune on like the lowest notes. Like any of anything above the third fret was mm. out, and uh, it, but it had a cool sound. It was like a nylon string guitar, and I came up with this. So. I guess I might have had this true, and uh, I love that slow. I love all the weirder three things, like slower three yeah. and a six or whatever. Following Mountain album, that was a very much um, um, collaborative process with Leo Abrahams, who, who produced that record and, and mixed it. And he, he I, I knew that I wasn't going to make an album of folk songs, and but I didn't really know where I was going to happen. And it, it started with the whole, the first weekend of recording, which is really mainly one day, was the session with Shazad and Milford Graves and Sam Gandell that ends up as the sort of final track of the record. Beautiful. It's a profound experience and really without knowing where things were going to go after that. And so in the case of Warren, Leo was just really good at kind of uh, being unfazed by the fact that I didn't really have material, <laughs> but knowing we were both new, you need, you need something, you know, you need yeah. a backbone. And, um, but he was kind of, and so he was, I think, trying to think of ways to kind of spark my spark me a bit so he took like with Milford Graves there's like it's when you listen from afar it just sounds especially later Milford it really just sounds like the ocean it's like this mm -hmm. wash but then if you listen up close there's all these cellular mm -hmm. things of like little percussive you know of course when that's where his whole thing around both the human feeling of rhythm being beyond metronomic time but also his thing around all these different percussive traditions comes into play and so Leo, just to get me to kind of inspire me, he would he went in and he kind of found some of these little cells and mm. made kind of loops and stuff, slowed down kind of loops from them. Yeah. So he made one that that I thought this guitar part worked over. And I put that over it. And then this is really like how the sausage I'm giving this is like the this Beautiful. is you know. So then um and then I think Leo was like it probably should go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. He just said like it needs another section. And so, and I'm not a music theory person. Like I, I have retrospective. Like I can kind of look and see that your chord. Like and see what you're doing. But like I don't. I, it's all just kind of shapes with me. But mm -hmm. but I think I just had that. I just like this. Yeah. Nice chord shape. And um, in fact. 
There's a great Beth Orton song, mm-hmm. my wife Beth, yeah. uh, called Rectify, which is that chord. Love, laugh, laugh is a one-way train Comes on gentle as a hurricane It's got P-I-N written all the way through From where I'm sat looking over at you. One of my favorite songs by Beth. Uh, I don't know if I had that in my mind when I had that chord, but so yeah, I just kind of like, and it was just like a problem-solving thing of like how to get back down yeah. and follow the chords down. Whether it needed to be like minor thing or... just that part mm-hmm. and this there was the little second part and the riff and the thing and and we did some improvising over and that was what it was we we basically made the whole album that way there was no vocals on it at all it was just a instrumental structure that went through the second third fourth like about half the tracks in the record were just these instrumental things and then i went home the next week and just put them into garage band just sang sang stuff over the top mm. Although I don't think I did it with this one. I don't think I had anything for this. I think I went into the studio with Leo and I had, I loved those lyrics from the Warren song because mm-hmm. it's, they're so beautiful. And I, and then at the end I took some, I came up, I had some other phrases, like there was like this ancient Chinese poem and I stole one line from that and it just, <laughs> it just, cause it sort of seemed to fit and added, I think a line of my own or something. And, and and I think I think I sort of improvised the vocal. Like I don't think I I didn't have anything worked out. I think mm. I think Leo just recorded me, and I probably took a few times of just like singing whatever. Well, there's only so many options. Yeah. Over chords, you know, so just singing stuff over the top and finding the. That's something that I am obsessing about when I'm transcribing a song like this or learning a stuff like this, a song like this, because I was like, okay, did he write it down or didn't he write it down? And if you didn't write it down, what is the song? Yeah. Is the song what I hear? Because, totally. Because... Because then I had to learn it after. Yeah. I got, when I did the first concert, I was like, should I have to learn that song? I, like, I didn't know it. I had just, it was like, you know... Because also there's variation in ways uh, yeah. in how you sing it. So I'm always obsessing about, okay, if, if there's variation and if there's a song, where's the song if you don't write it down? Where is it? Yeah, yeah, totally. And what is it? And that's a mystery with all these forms, like with standards, but also with folk songs. You know, yeah. like it's a, you could you know, there's it's like a like the question. It's like yeah, what what is where is the song? What is it? And not it doesn't mean that there is no song unless you write it down. That's not how I think yeah. about it. But where is the initial? Okay, this is the yeah. Or is is uh, an an openness about the material, which is part of it. Yeah. But again, it needs that backbone in there somewhere. And I think that, again, like really from listening to field recordings and and dealing with traditional music where like in Irish tunes, you know, there are there is no harmony to the tune. So the, the in Irish music, the guitar player, you could only have one guitar player at a session. You could have mm. 15 melody instruments, fiddle, pipes, flute, right. everything. But you only have one guitarist because their job is to superimpose it's like the opposite of jazz because the mm. melody is set. People just play the melody, mm. but the guitarist is superimposing the harmony they hear at any given moment. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's because it's kind of weird old music that predates, you know, it doesn't really have, there is no, you know, and so again, like 
you have this sense of like this architecture that's mm. been there for a long time. And, yeah. and you can hear like, you can hear like somebody who, who doesn't have a sense of the flow and it's not right, you know, mm. and yet you can hear somebody else playing all those same chords, but just in a, you know, threading the needle, which shows, which kind of connects to the architecture in a way. Mm. And it's kind of all that stuff just still inspires me, even though my music is not that anymore. Like even on this album that was not folk songs or at all, mm. still like just those, I don't know, those ideas. Did you give Milford Graves any kind of directions or for inspiration uh, or did you just... We came into the room um, and I was, um, I, I wanted to, the thing that I felt we had to connect through was this kind of Kentucky, internet, kind of Kentucky feeling that I mentioned, the, the fiddle tune stuff. I felt like, because I knew that Milford really respects old tradition you know ancient traditions not because of some not because they're ancient but because of uh, you know there's something powerful in those old like you know the way he the, those afro-cuban percussion rhythms and the way he'll talk about how it's not you know you cannot mark that it's like it's in the blood it's and there's an incredible part of the full mantis documentary have you watched the i haven't are you, you I have a treat coming your way it's so wonderful and there's a part where he's He's talk. He's kind of showing the posture of some guys who'd be like sitting around a table, like kind of arguing, like, "Hey, you know." And he's mm -hmm. they're kind of moving. He's sort of, and then very slowly and organically, his hands start to. His hands are gesticulating, like some old guys arguing about politics or baseball or something, and but his hands slowly start to hit the conga drum, mm -hmm. and then it starts to become that like Afro-Cuban clave, and it's so such a deep thing it's like he's saying so much in that moment mm. and but i knew that he would so because i was self-conscious in some ways about inviting him like i didn't want him to feel you know what i mean like just like that i was having him to have him or that it would be arbitrary or that i'm just you know what i mean and um so so but i but that that i felt like he would connect with that kind of kentucky folk thing in his own way or whatever and so we did the first We did 20 minutes of improvising and, I, and for that we were kind of going I was playing like free jazz on the violin you know playing noise and scraping and sawing and, and he came in after that and he said um, you know man I checked you out on YouTube like you can play your stuff with me I don't, I'm not like pigeonholed into one style like you, you know and it was kind of just like you know you just don't have to just come and do what you think uh, I do you know mm. I checked you on YouTube you, you know you can do do what you do it And um, so the next one, I put my guitar into Dadgad and uh, just started with sort of a finger picking thing. And he listened for a few minutes and came in, bang, like still like super hard and full yeah. on, great, you know. But he wasn't playing like in a rhythm, you know, but he was just like totally mm. just like blasting. And and then that one, I pulled out the fiddle and I started, I was sort of, I made some, I talked a little bit. I was like, this is Kentucky. And I was like playing some of the sort of intonation that comes in those fiddle tunes. Mm. And he and, and he came out after that and was like, what was that? Like that was, you know, he was sort of mm. intrigued by, by that. And fast forward to, he came to perform at Big Ears And um, uh, I'll come back to the session, but he came to perform Big Ears and I saw him giving a concert solo performance for, you know, a pretty big audience. And of course the people are there, they're at Big Ears, it's an arts festival day. Mm. They, but, but he was very aware that many of them probably wouldn't have known who he was, you know. And he was doing some, 
he was doing like gibberish in the speech, in the speech that he'd heard of the accent around mm -hmm. Tennessee at the airport and talking about his ancestors who from, maybe come from it. And again, like it would have been so silly, but he was expressing something so deep about language and rhythm and music, you know, and he was doing it for them and he was doing mm -hmm. it and they're they chuckling. He was come, like the thing with Milford that it's like, and some of these people that's easy to forget because they're such, we kind of consider it quote unquote experimental music or they're considered masters. It's like, he's an entertainer as well. You know, he's a philosopher, he's a musician, but he's also completely had that room. He knew how to, and he knew what his relationship to them was. He played different for them than he would if it was at tonic. Mm. You know, it's like, he, he, he was like, he knew how to welcome them into his world. And it was a very interesting to watch him do that. And yet it was all within his own philosophy. It's not like he was going to kind of explain himself to them. You know, yeah. he was doing it through his thing. Super cool. So anyway, rewind to back to our recording. Um, then by the third one was the one that really felt where we came to, uh, you know, some really stuff between us. Mm. That's what's on the album. Yeah. And and in the and um and where it kind of surveyed it just went through that it felt like it it made sense it wasn't just this arbitrary thing of bringing people together like something really happened mm. what i will say so no i didn't give him direction we just played but but there was a dog there was dialogue yeah and and you know milford had this kind of pugilistic kind of uh you know slightly tough kind of you know trash talking side of him or whatever and and he kind of comes in and does that at the beginning and it's it was it could be a little intimidating maybe or whatever, and that that's a challenge. He's like you know step up you know do your thing. He's kind of saying you but all you can do is your own thing because he's mm -hmm. kind of you know but but what you realized was how deeply open minded he was. And I think you know and he was excited to be there. He was just really really ready for anything. Great. And that was beautiful. To, and but it wasn't like it's not like somebody coming in and saying I'm ready for anything. Mm. It's coming somebody coming with a bit of an attitude like what do you guys got for me? And then realizing that within that. There's somebody inside who's just so playful. And at the album release, we played a very, very small show. I had him come and we I played with just Shazad and Sam for the first 30 minutes to do kind of some of the earlier music of the record. Then he came on and we did 15 minutes of, you know, pretty like black blistering stuff connected mm -hmm. to the that track. Then for the encore, um, I said, um, they all came back on stage and I said, I'll, I'll just, I'll do a song first and then you guys come in when I start to go out or whatever. Mm. And so I started with the Short Life. Short Life of Trouble. Which is 6-8 kind of feel, right? Mm. And I started doing it and he came in with like super deep, like Haitian 6-8, you know, mm. one of those Afro-Cuban rhythms, like, and then I was freaking out because for Milford to play free jazz with me was one thing, but for him to play as a percussionist in a rhythm, yeah. you know, I was like, that, that's like, that was, I wish we had a recording of that because it was mm. like for him to just actually just engage fully in that way. Yeah. And then he started singing and, and we had a whole dialogue. And then again, what, he just had the audience, like he did a whole back and forth. Uh -huh. So it just, you know, it's just, so beautiful because we again we forget you know we're like yeah I'm an experimental musician or I'm a folk musician I'm mm -hmm. going to play but it's like somebody like him is was so much more than any of those categories mm -hmm. and was a performer you know yeah. it's like so but that that moment was very that was I really felt uh, that was so lucky to, to that he that he got you know he's like I'm going to get in on this you know and, and that he right. played with that. 
that he played like in rhythm. Because again, for somebody, sort of like that Ornette thing I was saying about the Joe Henry, like for somebody who spent their whole life not doing that, you know, to, you know, except for in these moments, just really to just to go in. And when they do, it's like super powerful. Mm. But it also says something about your bravery of asking somebody like that, who's not from, let's say, your world, yeah. your musical world. Uh, these, yeah. I mean, it is, he's from your no, 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 musical, my fantasy world. <laughs> fantasy or yeah. interest world, yeah. yes. But that's something that I'm missing. Uh, you know, I love that Joni, uh, Joni Mitchell invited people like uh, Wayne and Herbie yeah. to play on her songs, you know. Yeah. And I, I find it a, a bit more, although the music is so open these days. Yes. But I find there's uh, not many people who, who cross boundaries like that or don't yes. see boundaries like that at, at, at all. Yeah. And well, but the first thing you said about crossing them is part of it, though, because part of it now also is that people have learned to be very versatile, which is beautiful. But then the question is, how do you get back to that? place where it is a little bit dangerous and confusing because some That's people they yeah. learn to play the singer-songwriter music or whatever so it's like it's no longer a it's you're no longer and i, I thought of it i was listening to dogon ad the uh with uh the julius hemphill mm -hmm. and it's from the 70s and it's like a five eight pattern but the way he's playing it is so cool because he wasn't playing five eight his whole life until that moment he, you know he had to focus and do it and it felt kind of weird but it's like Again, like, how do we get back to those places where there's these, you know, just, yeah. and again, that encounter, like, for Milford to break in and do that was, like, a, a weird risk for him, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. same with Kenny that you invited him. Mm. I love this. this that's, that's a brave thing. Thank and you. And I, I admire that, and I would like to see that yeah. more in the world. Yeah. Well, there's something a little bit, again, that goes back a little to the old time, the traditional music thing, which is one thing, again, about these, the Irish session thing is, because it's a smaller world and because of the tradition, you know, the best players like have, A, will come and sit in in a session or will just have their own. So there's this guy, Tommy Peoples, who's like my complete guru of the Irish fiddle and really probably the single biggest influence on my musicianship, even now, pr probably through my singing, I think. Mm. That's a, maybe, maybe not, that's my guess. But, um, but definitely as a fiddle player. Um, and he, Tommy has this way of playing tunes where It's just sheer free improvisation, but within a extremely minute bound of just like it might not be apparent. You might, you should. I'll send you recordings and mm -hmm. see if it sounds this way to you. Again, he's not. He's not playing improvising. He's doing variations, but the push and pull, like the Billie Holiday thing, right? Like mm -hmm. the, the push and pull of his phrasing is so deep and intense. And Tommy, who is like you know, for me, like Bill Frizzell, Jimi Hendrix, you know, is this Joni Mitchell, like that level of hero, and for many other people, not just me, many, you know, he had a, he had two weekly sessions in the west of Ireland, mm. and so when I was 15, we met it, we got uh, we went over there, and it was just went to the west coast to find literally just like to find him, and went to the bar and said, "Where's Tommy playing?" Like he's he's at Listening Barn on Tuesday nights, and Tommy Peoples is known for. Was, was notorious for playing with the, being the greatest musician ever and playing with the worst guitar players of all time. <clears throat> I mean, just... Why? I don't know, like, guys who... I don't know. They were just... Challenge. He was around and... No, I think he... He was very modest about his music and he didn't put himself out in the way that musicians often do. He just kind of played around town and mm. I was just people who were his friends or something. Maybe he thought, maybe like, I don't know. Mm. Um, but I mean, but sometimes it was amazing, but sometimes it was just like too much. But miraculously, the first session I got to with him, the guitar player was an hour and a half late. 
and it was just the two of us for like the first wow you know hour and I'm, i was being that guy i was like this kid i was playing only if he suggested for me to play tunes i only played tunes from his record in his style i mean it was like the classic thing you know like the kid uh, but you know he was totally graceful about it mm-hmm. but but again that whole idea that as a 15 year old who's just like slavishly interested in this person and you can just sit down and mm. play with them all night, you know, is, and again, it kind of gives you that, uh, sense of just people are out there mm. and, you know, you have to be sensitive about it. You can't just come and blast with them and, you know, it has to be organic. And even the Milford thing, I never would have occurred to me to do it. It was just cause Shazad told me he was playing with him and that he thought we could do it. I was like, right. oh, I don't know why, but, but and, and it wasn't like it was some, I, I loved, I had engaged very deeply with his music in my past. So sure. there was a reason for it. I wouldn't have done it for yeah, no reason. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, again, like it's just that old idea of like, you know, elders and not necessarily as some kind of distant thing that you need to preserve what they do, but just they're playing every Friday. Go yeah. play some tunes, you know, be, see what happens. Mm, that's great. Yeah. Um, how would you feel if we wrap it up yeah. with, by playing together? Yeah, it would be yeah. sweet. Yeah? It would be a pleasure. Cool. And then do you yeah. have a request? No, do you? Let's do, let's do that short life one, because I love that song, and it's okay. beautiful with a little piano.
We should play Warren. Sure, yeah, let's do it. Why not, right? Whether you can use it or not on the thing, but you sure, know, yeah, while yeah. we're sitting here, I haven't learned how many yeah, times we should play. do it. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I love it. So grateful. Me too, man. Play that forever. Okay. Should we blast it down? Sure. One, two.
Thank you. So great. Thank you so much. Killing. Wow. Thank you, Pablo. Such a pleasure. Wow. I'm so moved by your this project, like your, uh, you know, generosity of spirit and the but coming to all these different people. Are really, it's beautiful. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm having a blast. It's That's great. So great to uh, to connect. Yeah. To connect, basically. Yeah. yeah. That's it.